You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. I'm going to be iconic. Welcome to the Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am Tim Capper. You can find me on Twitter at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And I'm Cliffy D. You can also find me on Twitter at Cliffy D. And this episode of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where if you go and use the promo code ALSFLIGHTDECK10 at checkout, you will save 10% off your entire order. Head on over to www.sportbuffshop.com for all of your sporting needs. And as always, make sure you support local. Have you missed any of the episodes of the Flight Tech Podcast? Well, no need to worry. You can head over to our homepage at www.alowitzflightdeck.ca and catch all the episodes, seven plus years of episodes for you to enjoy. Uh, you can also catch us on Twitter at alowitzfldeck. Facebook at facebook.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck Pod. Instagram and threads. You can find us over at Alouette's Flight Deck. And YouTube, where you can get all of our lives, all of the audio versions, and hopefully more to come of the podcast. So you can head over to uh, youtube.com slash Alouette's Flight Deck. And lastly, you can head, if you wanted to rep the, uh, the, the podcast, represent the, the, the show itself, you can do so by heading over to teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck, where still, as we speak, we still have the promo code available where you can pick up the Cartoon Bird 56 shirt, you can pick up a logo shirt, whatever. Use TGiving23 at checkout, and you will save 10% off your entire order. Speaking of Cliff, I know there's a, an update that we wanted to give. Isn't that right, my friend, about the first ever, I guess we could say, Flight Deck uh, fan meetup that's going to be happening on uh, on Thanksgiving Monday? Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, after uh, some tense negotiations, actually, it was just more me asking nicely <laughs> and they saying yes, uh, we are thrilled to announce that uh, we will be partnering with uh, the Legaki Vive tailgate crew, party crew. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, uh, so if you're going to the game on Thanksgiving Monday, the Ottawa Red Blacks coming into town to play the Alouettes, uh, make sure you come into the park, uh, Mont Royal Park, which is on the east side of the stadium. Uh, it's hard to miss. A silver trailer, blue pop-up tents. That's where the action is going to be. That's where we're going to tell everybody to meet up. Make sure you have your Cartoon Bird 56 shirt or a logo shirt or anything to do with the Alouettes flight deck. This is your opportunity to come and be a part of something special. We want to get everybody down, you know, see, see who's representing the flight deck. Come and meet us. Come talk with us. Share some football fun. And you know, we, we've got a few more ideas that we have in the hopper that uh, we're hoping to make happen. But uh, at least you, you now know the day and the place. So I believe uh, we, we agreed on 1030 at, as a meetup time. Mm -hmm. uh, Between 1030 to noon. That's correct, sir. Yeah. So... Now you know where it is. Uh, if you haven't already, head on over to the, the merch store. Make sure you pick up one of these T-shirts. you got the promo code now, so you're saving 10% off. You've got no excuse as far as I'm concerned. So make sure you do that. Make sure you come and see us on Thanksgiving Monday. It's going to be a blast. 
It's going to be fun, man. And we can't, you know, we can't thank them enough for, for allowing us to, uh, to, to, uh, get, we, even though it's unofficially to join their family and to, and to bring our family to them. So it's, uh, we, we look forward to you, uh, to seeing you guys there and, uh, stay tuned to our socials and, uh, we'll, we'll update you more, uh, with, uh, as, you know, as things go and things are added, things change, but, uh, stay tuned to our socials. So, um, dude, um, you know, you and I have fun going back and forth on what, what we want to call our show each week before we put it out to the masses. And this week's game, there was, <laughs> I'm sure both you and I could come up with multiple, multiple names just for this show itself, just based on what happened this week, uh, you know, this week at home. And it, it's, it is, I'm sure you could come up with a couple of, couple of them off the top of your head already, but I mean, it's, but still this game with BC had so many different storylines coming into it. Uh, just unfortunately, uh, it wasn't a Hollywood ending this week, I guess, for Alouette's fans, um, as they did lose to the BC Lions uh, 34-25. Yeah, definitely not uh, not the result Alouette's fans wanted, uh, not what they were expecting either, especially trying to kick off Labor Day, trying to get off uh, this uh, all of a sudden losing streak that now the Alouettes find themselves on after getting absolutely pasted by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers the week before. Uh, I mean, this... This truly was a winnable game for the Alouettes, uh, uh, but my God, it just <laughs> seemed like when things were going good, they were great. But when they started to falter, oh boy, they they fell off pretty fast. And unfortunately, uh, it was the homecoming that Vernon Adams Jr. was hoping for, being able to play his former team and getting the win. I mean, he's already beaten them at BC Place, so he's used to beating the Alouettes. To be able to do it on the place that he helped build, the place he helped rebuild, I should say, mm-hmm. has got to be pretty sweet for him, and maybe even a little bittersweet. But I, 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 in speaking with him after the game, you could tell he was just happy to get the win, and it wasn't about rubbing it in anyone's face or anything like that. I think it was just a matter of, I just want to come in here and prove that hey, you, you, I, this, this used to be my home, this used to be my kingdom. You let me go, and well, I'm doing better without you. I guess that's that's how that's how you would want to paint it for him. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, I mean, as people remember that he he was, you know, as it came out in the media that uh, he was the one that asked for the re- for his release because you know he really wasn't getting the playing time. He he wasn't he wasn't the chosen one anymore. And and you know you know props for VA for what he's done in BC so far. I mean, it's uh, I you know. I, I can't fault him. We know, as you said, we saw him after after the game, and you know he he greeted us as if he did uh, when he was here as Alouette's quarterback. You know, as you know, not necessarily just two friends, but two guys that he's known over the years, and um, you know, a, a constant professional, continuous constant professional that that he always was. So, yeah, he's he's always been our quarterback, and as far as I'm concerned, regardless of the colors that he wears, he will still be our quarterback. Uh, I I would love nothing more. And this is not not to be disparaging towards Cody Fajardo or anyone else who lines up under center for the Alouettes, but I sincerely hope that before Vernon hangs up his cleats and calls it a career, that he does come back to Montreal. He does his farewell tour, his final hurrah, if you will, here in Montreal to be able to say, like, this is where I started my career in the Canadian Football League, and this is where I'm going to end my career in the Canadian Football League. It would be the, one of those perfect full circle kind of moments. I sincerely hope it can happen uh, if it doesn't then it doesn't but i that is my hope and i hope that vernon is able to come back and close that chapter of his career here in montreal and kind of leave his fans his true fans here in alouette nation with a great memory of yeah i remember this guy when and be able to say yeah 
once again, this guy, he's our quarterback. Yeah. So the other ones came into surprising everybody this week where it was originally going to be scheduled as our whiteout game. And, uh, you know, if you've been following the Alouettes and you've been following us long enough, you, you know damn well that uh, the Alouettes just suck when it comes, <laughs> when it comes to uh, uh, these whiteout games. I mean, it's they, they were over. Let's just be as honest, as you know, transparent and honest as possible. They, they were over these games dating back, I think, to, to uh, just, you know, I think it's like 2011 or 2012, something like that. Regardless, um, it was yeah. yeah. They, they have not, they've never won a single game wearing their white uniforms at home, and yeah, yeah, that's just that's simply what it is. And to to try to hype it up as a whiteout and try to do what college football teams are doing when it comes to having a whiteout or a blackout or whatever it is, trying to encourage fans to wear whatever color it is, and it just it never works. And that's the thing. It, I've I've gone into this a million times and I'm I'm not about to do it again because I just sound like a broken record. But <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't work. The whiteout game doesn't work, and as we saw this past Saturday, the red white game doesn't work either. <laughs> no, they look sharp though. I will admit they did look sharp, but you know the Alouettes uh, after this game, they're now zero and two wearing the red new red uh, alternate jerseys uh, at Percival Molson. Obviously, they only you know they they did win at Ottawa. Um, it was a, it was a different look that I was, I was, you know, as I mentioned on social media right before the game, um, I, I had hoped that it was, they were considering the night that it was, you know, you know, with all of the future hall of famers being there, uh, I would have hoped that they would have gone with the, the blue pants. Maybe they'll do that. You know, maybe they'll wear them again and, um, uh, Thanksgiving, maybe, uh, go red over blue. I love see red over do just a a sweet nod to the old Delta Delta logo era and stuff like that. So, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, as as we saw, it's not necessarily me. It doesn't necessarily mean what you wear and and how well you'll how well you're going to do. Um, you still need to play the game. <laughs> That's the thing. You do, you still... and you would have won or lost this game regardless of how what whatever combination uniform you were wearing and the way the Alouettes played uh, last Saturday. It didn't matter what they were wearing. If they played the playing like that, they were definitely not going to win this game. No, no, that and that's the thing too. I mean, and we're talking about storylines itself, Cliff. I mean, we, we can go and talk about the actual stats themselves, and obviously, we're going to do that, you know, on the show this week too. Um, but if you're looking at the different storylines, if you were to be able to uh, to pull one storyline from the game itself, uh, what which one would stand out to you the most, whether it was a, a, a positive or a negative? I think the continuation of Austin Mack's evolution into being one of the premier receivers of this league in his first year, no less, cannot be overlooked. This kid is really, really something special. And what a find. What an absolute find. Mm-hmm. I mean, this he nearly had two touchdowns. Uh, well, he had one for sure, and then one, unfortunately, just uh, you know, bounced off his fingertips. Uh, just so close, this much, yeah, missed it yeah. by that much inches. Like literally, they say football is a game of inches, and they're not kidding when it comes to stuff like that. And believe me, I'm sure Austin's looked at the tape numerous times and said, <laughs> "Damn, I should have had that." And you know, it's just the way the ball bounces, unfortunately. <laughs> but. To see what this guy has done has just been nothing short of spectacular. I mean, and it's still going. And again, his first CFL season playing here. In, and my gosh, I mean, this kid really, truly is something else. And as great as he is on the field, even better off the field. Just you know, we got to see him post game, and 
fans are lining up to get this guy's autograph, to take selfies with him, to, to just interact with this guy too. They realize what what, for, what what first year player that you can remember in Alouettes or any football history besides if you're um, you know if you're a known rookie or you're a draft pick or whatnot, people are buying his eighty one jersey, dude. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. thing. We know a couple of our, our of the other supporters who have his jersey. Yeah, I mean, I mean the impact that he's made immediately is uh, again you you cannot overstate just what an impact he has had, and it's, he's only halfway through his first campaign. I mean, I my gosh, I mean that that really says something. And other people throughout the league are taking notice as well. It, it's incredible the impact he's had so far, and. There is no signs of stopping, honestly. Like he's leading the the Canadian Football League in receiving yards. Yeah, very close to his thou- first, well, obviously first thousand yard receiving season. Uh, my God, I mean, the guy the guy is just money. You throw the ball in the air, and he's going to come down with it more often than not. I mean, he is just reliable. He is explosive, entertaining as hell to watch. I mean, this guy is worth the price of admission alone. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, we've had him on the show. Kevin, if you haven't heard that episode, head back into the archives and uh, listen to our interview with Austin Mack because uh, what a cool dude. What a really good dude. And uh, as you said, where he is right now uh, on the top of the receiver's chart, um, he's also uh, potentially on the pace to smash the CFL record for uh, for yards by a, a first-year CFL player. Notice I'm not saying rookie. First-year CFL player. He's... he's He's on that pace too, so it's, and he's and he's done it. And the guy who's in second place currently for receiving yards, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Big Mac has done it in one less game. So, yeah, no, the, the, again, we, we can go on and on about how what an mm-hmm. incredible find this was for the Montreal Alouettes, but uh, yeah, just absolutely exciting, without question, one of the biggest storylines this year. And I can't help but go back to the start, the start of the season, and even into before training camp. How everybody looked at the Alouettes without Geno Lewis, without Jake Winicky. Like, oh, this team's going to suck. They have no receivers. They're terrible. It's going to be garbage, blah, blah, blah. And look what happened. You've mm-hmm. got Tyler Sneed. You've got Austin Mack. Mm-hmm. You have Kayon Julian Grant. I-, I mean, Tyson Philpot finally back in action. And mm-hmm. we're just waiting for him to go off. I mean, I mean, like, this, there is truly some talent here. And I think a lot of people were sleeping on the Alouettes receiving core. I promise you, they are not sleeping anymore. I mean, just Austin Mack and Tyler Sneed alone have made everybody sit up and take notice. And yeah. then you add in these other these other dudes, like my God, like the, like there is no shortage of talent. There's no shortage of weapons for Cody Fajardo to throw the ball to. Now all he has to do is throw the ball to them more often. <laughs> well, that that goes to uh, uh, to my storyline that I was going to bring up. Cliff is that what you know? Once again. The offensive touchdown ineptness continues for the Montreal Alouettes. The Alouettes had their second, uh, this is the second time this season that the Alouettes have gone 90 plus minutes without scoring an offensive touchdown. Um, and uh, thanks to David Arsenault with RDS, th- this, this just shows how poor, and considering what our record is, by the way, it's still even more mind blowing. Dude, through, you know, through 10 games, with uh, 11 games, they have scored 19 offensive touchdowns. That's it. And have gone through two games this season where they haven't scored any offensive touchdowns. 
Mind you, they won one of those. <laughs> <laughs> they did. That's, that is currently the problem. That's what led to the Alouettes losing this week to BC. There were some other, obviously, some big variables also. But everything was in place. Everything seemed to be going right. The passing game, the running game, returns, the return game was, it was, Solid. it was. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, still there were some, some issues with, with uh, the O-line. There's still some issues with some dumb and questionable penalties, which we are going to talk about. Yeah. But the Alouettes, if the Alouette right now, they have not beaten one of the top tier teams in the in the CFL. No. If they want to get anywhere in the playoffs or in the postseason, they need to start winning. And obviously it will start, which we'll get to a little bit, it starts with this next two-game series versus the East-leading Toronto Argonauts. But, yeah, dude, I mean, it's you can't go this, you know, you can especially have two of them, two of them. You can't have these two types of streaks, these these streaks where you just don't score any offensive touchdowns. It, it it's just it's just so frustrating. But you know what? It's like I guess it, we really we're noticing it, but we're not because we're playing well, and it's just I mean, so de- frustrating. If the, if, if the defense is humming, and it has been, and I think that's where it's really bailed out this team. And a big reason why they've won six games this year was because the defense keeps turning in solid performance after solid performance. I think this past game against BC, the defense looked very mid to be honest like they mm-hmm. had some nice plays but truthfully they didn't look like that dominant Noel Thorpe defense that we've come to expect and we have seen numerous times this season like they just looked they were there like they didn't do anything egregious or anything that would I could truly say that, that cost them the game per se but it just it felt like they took the night off. Are like you, they, they start. Are you are you sure about that? <laughs> you know we're going to talk about it. But are you sure about? You sure you don't want to retract your statement already? <laughs> Obviously, we're going to have to clarify a few things here. But yeah, uh, asterisk. The, There's an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, there could be footnotes, folks. But uh, I mean, by and large, this defense has truthfully bailed out the offense. I, I think that's a fair statement to make. In a lot of a lot of these games uh, this season, simply put the offense really does need to get better. And mm-hmm. it's not a question of talent. We know what William Stanback can do running the ball. We know what uh, William Fletcher and Jeshua Nanswee can do running the ball. That's one part of the offense that when when they're featured, they do outstanding work. When they're sort of left to their own devices, when they're kind of given the short shrift, you're sitting there wondering what the hell's going on. Why aren't you getting these guys involved? The, the receivers. We just finished talking about how incredible, uh, what an incredible job they've done this year receiver-wise. And... Yet, how many times have Cody Fajardo and these receivers been able to move the chains and get into the red zone? And just like it was when Trevor Harris was quarterback here, you get to the red zone and that's it. You 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 settle for field goals. Mm-hmm. We, we thought, okay, well, maybe this, this is just what Trevor Harris is. Cody Fajardo is not that type of quarterback, but we're seeing an awful lot of that. Now, is that because Cody Fajardo is just another version of Trevor Harris? I don't believe so. No, I, I I think truly he has the potential to be much more dynamic a quarterback than what Trevor Harris is, and I'm not putting Trevor Harris down, but just you know, for all you th- people who still think I hate him, I I really don't. It's a different breed altogether, but it just feels like the play calling, which has been suspect for the past couple of games, to be truthfully honest, I can't help but wonder if they're trying to make Cody Fajardo into a Trevor Harris type of quarterback, which 
based on the play calling and the settling for field goals, I, I clearly it, it sh it's been shown to not be a recipe for success. And I'm left puzzled as to why it's been like this. Like it, it it's not the first game. If this was a the if this was a one-off thing, I wouldn't say anything. But I've seen this far too often. I, I we've seen this more times than I feel comfortable talking about and feeling good about because mm -hmm. yes, putting points on the board is important. And yes, field goals are important too, but leaving points on the field is egregious. And you sure as hell can't do that against these top tier teams like Winnipeg, Toronto, BC, and so on. Simply put, that's, that's, that's the difference. You've got to be able to produce. You've got to be able to put points on the board. You've got to be able to be able to win in convincing fashion. And yes, yellow have done that this year, but, like this past these past two games, the offense has just looked disjointed and sputtering, and not clearly not on the same page in a lot of ways. And it, it simply comes down to who do we blame for this? Who who should own up and take responsibility for it? Okay, well, two two streaks of ninety plus minutes of not scoring an offensive touchdown this year. It's again everything seemed to be everything seemed good this week. But again, I, I completely agree with you. Something has to be done. The Alouettes throughout their history have had this, you know, you've, no matter the type of quarterback that we've had, whether it's been a good quarterback, a mediocre, mediocre quarterback, we've gone through these stretches where we can't. I, I, mean, I remember joking. Oh, I'm trying to remember what it was. I, I, I think I got flack for it. I remember one. I have to go back and see how many, how long ago it was. I'm sure I can go check on social media. It was one of those times where the Alouettes were going through the same type of streak, Cliff. And I just had the opportunity to go down onto Percival Molson Stadium. And I took a picture of myself putting my foot over the goal line and leaving the, leaving the comment. Well, at least I was able to do something that the Alouettes weren't able to, haven't been able to do. That's, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of, that's, that's kind of how I feel. Um, but yes, there are some problems, but there are so many positives right now. And, and, you know, we talk about, the different storylines for this game itself. There, there were a ton of, you know, beside, the score aside, there were a ton of storylines. And these storylines, and I've always said this before, and I wish some people would, I don't know how many people know about this, but this is one of the times, Cliff, you know, right now, as you and I both know, that, um, you know, the only way for, for, for players to get a little bit more money in their pockets is to, is to have a team specifically sell their jersey on the team on the team's sites. You know, not or not a not a special specialty one, but specifically mm -hmm. uh, have their name and say you know the Austin Max by Austin Max jersey. The CFLPA needs to look at at uh, at uh, a breaking tease, this type of thing, because where they can get more money for the players. We had two of those type of plays this week that could have easily have made t-shirts and that that's another part of the of the storyline this week you know we had we had that beautiful pass uh from tyler sneed to austin mack on the would you call it a flea flicker halfback whatever you want to call it whatever you want to call it it's a gadget play but yeah but for the dude and if you didn't see it at first during the replay you would have to hear his uh, his interview that he had post game. If you go back and look now, and see Sneed, he tosses. He wears two gloves. He tosses. <laughs> he tosses one of his gloves aside before he throws it. And I, I think he meant he mentions that in the uh, the post game interview with uh, with, uh, with Joey Alfieri. He mentioned that there, and I just howl because obviously you and I sitting in the stands, we didn't notice that type of thing. I don't know if anybody else uh, on social media noticed that type of thing. 
at all. And the Austin Mac, you know, that went to, went to Austin Mac, but then that Austin Mac touchdown, that would have made it, you know, that type of that type of play too in the end zone that would have made a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. We're having, you know, these guys are making the plays. You could have done the same thing with Standback. You know, that that's the whole part of the story there too, but dude. I mean, it's as I said, everything was in the right spot this week. But scoreboard, yeah. you know. Well, that's just it. I mean, you've got these phenomenal moments. The moments that got everybody out of their seat. Everybody was hyped. Everybody was excited at Percival Molson Stadium seeing plays like that. I mean, the Austin Mac touchdown was that was the holy crap moment for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then when William Stanbeck busted through and scored a 69-yard touchdown run. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was shades of the Eastern final last year. Oh, oh, no kidding. Like, like, no, okay. like he, he was gone, just simply gone. <laughs> There's no answer for him but again for every one of those moments there was at least two or three like brain farts essentially on on, on offense and defensively too i mean there, there was the coverage was leaving a lot to be desired um yeah i i, I my god i mean again we keep talking about how amazing a quarterback vernon adams is and there's no question about that i mean he's got his receivers dialed up and Alex Hollins, oh my God, this guy was catching balls left, right, and center and scoring touchdowns. Uh, Lucky Whitehead living up to his name. Actually, is it Hollins that we're talking before? Isn't Hollins the guy who, who has number two in receiving yards in the league? Is that is it Hollins? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Alex Hollins. I mean, just when you think the Elvis were, were starting to build a, a little bit of momentum, Vernon was just throwing up prayers and they were getting answered. That's the thing. I mean, the, I know at, at least one of these uh, deep balls thrown to Lucky Whitehead had no business catching that whatsoever and there were a couple actually <laughs> yeah well yeah i think it was uh holland's second touchdown or no sorry it was no sorry his first touchdown vernon threw that into like triple coverage and somehow holland's came away with it and sauntered into the end zone untouched it was ridiculous yeah it was it was 2019 va the jump yeah i think it was a jump i'll call it a jump pass jump pass touch uh throw for a touchdown um yeah i I mean the the, the problem is though dude and we talked about earlier in the season it's somebody who has done quite well has started off you know did pretty poor uh versus toronto and you know has had his games and unfortunately with kb nento he was he was taking a task a little bit this week but i mean it's i guess there's only so much there's only so much you know that we can say it's a matter of what has to be done in practice and and and, because he hasn't changed sides i mean he wasn't burned multiple times but again there was everything there was everything in this this game that that they really you know they really put put the the nail on the head and then it ended the game so but let's let's you know let's talk about these 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 fantastic performances here dude we might as well man um for the for the alouettes uh it was Cody Fajardo, he was 22 of 35 for 300. See, this he wasn't a slouch. 308 yards, one touchdown. The problem was those two interceptions. And that was that was another part of the story, uh, which we were going to talk about. Um, both Caleb Evans and Tyler Sneed had had a had a catch, uh, had a pass also. Said, you know, Tyler's went for 24 yards, and we know who it went to. Went to the Big Mac himself. 100% uh, quarterback rating. That's pretty good. Get damn straight. Uh, <laughs> William Stanback led the team in rushing with 102 yards, as he's mentioned before, that that 69-yard romp for for a TD, which is absolutely fantastic. By the way, Cliff, uh, less Cody Fajardo, 
The uh, Alouettes running backs had 160 total yards on 13 carries between him and Je- between Stanbeck and Jeshwin. Um, again, Bode, again, did very, very well. Very, very well. Uh, leading receiver for the Alouettes, Le Big Mac. Awesome Mac. Seven receptions on 13 targets, 143 yards, one touchdown. Uh, we'll put an asterisk there. Should have been two. Should have been two. <laughs> um, and- and nobody's more pissed off about that than Austin Mack, I can promise you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole Speaker uh, was second in the team with 51 yards. There's a name that we hadn't seen, uh, I hadn't spoken in a while because he was mm-hmm. activated uh, off the uh, off the practice roster. Um, obviously, with the addition also of Greg Ellingson, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, excuse me, Tyler Sneed was second. I'm sorry, Tyler. Tyler Sneed was second with, on the team with seven receptions for 69 yards. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I, again, I've Tyson, Phil Pot, 32, Antwi, 11, James Tuck, 21, and uh, the returning Greg Ellingson. Um, one reception, 10 yards, had three targets. It was nice to see Greg back on the field, you know, the guy that we pick up and picked up in the offseason. Um, what were your initial thoughts on Greg? Because he really wasn't much of a factor, I think, in the in the second half. But to be fair, just as Coach Moss stated in his press game, uh, press scrum, this is his first game action since last year because he did not do anything in training camp this year. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, what do you expect? The guy hasn't played all year. This is his first game. I mean, if you were expecting him to go out there and post, uh, you know, 200 yards receiving and four touchdowns, you're, you're in la-la land, quite frankly. And again, Let's not forget, this is not the 2015 Greg Ellingson that wowed everybody or the 2016 Greg Ellingson that won a great cup with the Ottawa Red Blacks. I, I'm sorry to say, it is, it's the 2023 Greg Ellingson. Not a bad thing necessarily, but mm-hmm. let's temper our expectations just a little bit. It's not the Greg Ellingson we've known, just like, I, I, again, I remember back in 2018 when Chip Cox was still playing for the Alouettes and did not look like the Chip Cox of, say, 2008 or 2010 you know or 2014 when he was just an absolute monster just a little bit you know i I don't want to say a a shell of his former self but it wasn't the same and anyone who's expecting greg ellingson in 2023 to be the exact same as he was back in 2015 2016 those folks are definitely going to be disappointed and again i'm glad that he had a chance to get in there and get some action in but uh I don't think anyone was truly expecting him to be the deciding factor as far as offense goes for the Alouettes. Uh, certainly not when you have guys like Mack and Sneed in the lineup, Phil Pod as well. I mean, those are the go- those those are the guys that are going to get the attention. Those are the guys that are going to get first looks. I mean, Greg Ellingson, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure in the in the eyes of Ryan Phillips, defensive coordinator for the BC Lions, was an afterthought. And mm-hmm. with the minimal amount that Greg got, I mean. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad he's got up. He got on the field. He finally got to actually wear the Alouettes uniform. But um, I mean, I don't think anyone's truly expecting him to be a factor in this game. And he certainly wasn't. I mean, and I'm not saying that to be disparaging. I'm just stating facts. I mean, he was he was there. He did his job. But that was it. He he gets a participation trophy, I guess. That's, yeah, that's pretty much again. I'm, I promise I'm not trying to be disparaging this, but that's no. just no, how no, I look it, at it. No, and you know, I, again, I get it. We'll see what happens uh, this week versus Toronto because I know with the uh, with the practice reports, he, he, he full participation yesterday, and as we're taping this on Wednesday, he did not participate today. Um, so, 
So we, we got to talk about the elephant in the room, though, too, dude. We talked about those two interceptions, and there were a couple of things on defense. The uh, offensive line gave up five sacks. Um, seems to be a return to the norm. <laughs> um, they Once just... again, Cody Fajardo just happy feet and overthinking. I, I think a lot of a lot of it was overthinking, trying to do too much, trying to be the superhero, trying to be, you know, the the star quarterback that. Mm-hmm. He has potential to be, but sometimes you got to trust your receivers. You got to trust your running. Like if you, you make your reads and it's not there, I get it. You want to tuck and run and, and and try to get yards that way. But there's too many times where, you know, he takes his five step drop. He looks, doesn't like what he sees. And then he decides to run. Problem is he's running right into his offensive line. And yeah, that's <laughs> the D line is going to snap, snag him up every single time. And that's exactly what happened. And yeah, a couple of those end up counting as quarterback sacks because, he was all by himself and just like a sitting duck and we're, we're sitting here we're, we're you know our, our 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 hearts are in our hands it's just like no our, what are our you fa- doing our, man like this it's, is- it's 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 face palms it's it, it, it was it, there were certain certain some type of things that that could be very frustrating and you know we i was talking before you know the storyline for this game uh there's two inter- really it's just one of those interceptions the second interception was on, on a, when they were driving in the at the end of the game and they were trying to at least try to make something of it um mm-hmm. you know the one interception uh you know ju- it was it was a killer because it occurred at a time where we didn't expect to be because when Jeshwin Antwi was able to successfully complete that fake punt I mean, dude, we've been waiting for something like that. You know, anybody, if you go to practice enough, you'll see them practicing, practicing this stuff enough. But man, it set everything up. The owls were on, on, a, on a pace to potentially, I think it's to, to go ahead again. And the only person that it seemed that, that Cody was, was centering on and through to was Austin Mack in the end zone. But yet he was double covered, picked off. And from there, what did BC do, Cliff? Points off of turnovers. Yep. And it's so, so it, it was beyond frustrating because yes, that, that special teams trickery, absolutely oh. beautiful direct snap to Antwi. He caught the edge and just, he went for a run. And once again, you, this is what, this is what the elements do. They get everybody hyped. They get everybody excited because holy crap, they just, you know, took a, a third and five and converted in, in a huge way that caught everybody napping everybody. Mm-hmm. Nobody expected this. And it was perfect. Like the element of surprise works when done successfully absolutely outstanding but you take that great momentum that 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 great feeling that feeling okay we got this we're good we're good and then you flush it away with an absolutely it, unnecessary throw by Cody into the end zone we Double didn't have, we we didn't even have a minute to 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 take it in because it literally was the next play literally was. was the next play like you caught these guys with their pants down. Great. You didn't have to do it again. And I think that was, that's what it was. Like you, you were trying to catch them again, napping. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, they, obviously they're, you're not going to catch them napping like that. Yeah. The d- double uh, coverage proved it right there. The double coverage proved it. I don't think anybody was, I mean, go to somebody else. Just don't go. We've noticed. I, yes. I understand. We're not quarterbacks, but don't mm-hmm. unnecessarily. You got to take your first read. No. And if that was the play call to throw it into the end zone, then Jason Moss definitely has to own up to that. Like that, that was ill-advised, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think I'm being very generous in saying ill-advised. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, just especially too after you had Antwi have an amazing run, William Stanback, who 
obviously went off a few times throughout the evening. I mean, what's the harm in handing off to them and trying to gain yardage that way? Or you. as you said, don't focus necessarily on Mac because clearly BC's defense got dummied by him a couple of times. They're now starting to pay attention. They're starting to respect him. Guess and what? You've got three other receivers on the field. Uh, four if you count a ha- if you happen to have a fullback in there. But don't go to that well. I mean, it, it's no. just it we was were absolutely unnecessary. Unnecessary. It, yeah. it took all that great momentum, all that 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 good mojo that was built up in that short instance of time and you flushed it away and you're you're back to oh not again these and idiots the, and, the, and the problem is too is they were talking about again it seems to be i swear it should be the, the name of the show storylines um it all started with a miss you know the whole thing we were in a spot David Cote missing a field goal, giving us a single. From there, we had on the touchdown. We had to go. We went for two. Didn't get it. You know, then we scored another touchdown. Tried to go for two. Didn't. That right there, those points alone could have brought us up to a point where we're on that last drive where Cody got intercepted. We could have had a chance to, to try to go ahead. Certain dominoes within this game just killed this team. And the final, and the final two dominoes really, dude, Besides the the interceptions from Cody right there, are two penalties late in the fourth quarter. One that was completely unnecessary. One was a complete and utter joke. Depending on if you're in the if you're in the command center or not, we got to, we got to talk about again. The Owls were driving. It was late in the fourth. Uh, sorry, BC had the ball. They were they were driving. We had them stopped on one. And what happens? Beverett with an Ma, I, I just don't get it. Do not get the, the reason for, for him being getting, you know, doing what he did and getting flagged for this penalty. I mean, it was, it wasn't necessary, dude. Just, again, certain things, this unnecessary roughness by Beverett, really, 15 yards right there. You know, and that happened with 401 left in the, 401 left in the fourth. We had them. I think, what, what down was it? I'm trying to remember what down it was, but anyways. And then, Amanda Sewell, we thought that we had them stop. It was the first first down play. Sack, uh, they sacked VA. It was going to be second and long. And BC challenges it for roughing the passer. Now, this is a contentious issue. You look at the play again. I've looked at it. I, it is, you know, I guess we could say letter of the law. I will say that when we spoke with Amanda Sewell game, no, he did not agree with that, uh, that, uh, that in uh, so many nice terms. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they challenged it. Obviously, uh, you know the BC's head coach had VAs back, challenged it, and the com- and the command center, who obviously uh, we don't like, who's running the command center right now because we swear he has he had a thing out for when, <laughs> when he was in Montreal as a, as a ref. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I guess they were saying he. Uh, I think I didn't hear what the call was, but I think they said he put too much weight. Well, that's that, like, to me, to me, to me, that like a look like a normal sack of any day. It's not like you drove the quarterback into the ground. That I could understand. It's like I want to see again. Calls from calls for me and transparency from the command center. Show us what you're saying. You know what? Show us what you're seeing and and let's hear what you're saying. Because that was the the contentious issue was the fact that it looked like Almondo put all of his weight on VA when he sacked him, which. You're allowed to make a sack. You're allowed to hit the quarterback like that, but you cannot put your entire body weight onto the quarterback. That is considered roughing the passer. That is mm-hmm. the letter of the law that we talked mm-hmm. about. And if that's truly what he did, then so be it. But 
it really didn't look like that. It just looked like a clean hit. It looked, you know, like he did, he definitely went in. He he, he went in, uh, you know, really with the, the sole purpose of putting VA on the ground. And he did. Did he put his full weight on him? I don't think so. It, no, he didn't drive him either. No, and it wasn't like it, it, it was not egregious by any stretch. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he, could he have let up a little bit? Maybe, but would he have gotten the tackle? Would he have been able to bring VA down for the, the loss of down? Possibly, who knows? But it really didn't look like uh, it really didn't look like he was putting his entire weight on the quarterback. And unfortunately, the command center thought otherwise, uh, thought that he did. And hence we get a penalty. I mean, that that's it. Along with all the other stuff that went on this this past Saturday, it was like death by a thousand paper cuts for the Alouettes. That's really what it was. I mean, the the Beverett penalty too did absolutely no favors as well. And I go back to the the term ill advised as far I, I get heat of the yeah. moment things happen. I yeah, but that was very much ill advised on Tyrese Beverett's part. Uh, those two penalties, yeah, I, I think that in in a lot of ways told the story defensively for the Alouettes last Saturday. Because no, they didn't have any takeaways. They didn't have any, uh, you know, outstanding defensive plays. I mean, they they did their job for the most part, but there was just a, a lot of a lot of glaring moments where they did not look like the the, the dominant defense that we've come to expect over the past few games. And yeah. I think that's what hurt the most, considering these questionable play calls on offense. You figure, okay, well, if the offense isn't clicking, at least the defense should be able to do something. And unfortunately, the defense just did the bare minimum as far as I was concerned. Like there was nothing outstanding, nothing that said that, okay, maybe the defense is going to win this game for us. And it didn't happen. It, and again, they did their job. That was about it. And mm-hmm. even in doing their job, it's still, you know, giving up a lot of big plays as well. And a lot of that credit has to go to the fact that Vernon Adams is a fantastic quarterback. But like I said, this, this defense has been hurting for a long time. There's a lot of really talented guys that are on the injured list right now. And credit to the guys that are on the field. They are definitely doing a good job and they have been doing a good job for the most part. But I mean, they just simply looked outclassed like that. It's unfortunate because I want to believe in this defense. I definitely still think this defense is one of the top defenses in this league. But this past Saturday, they did not look like a top tier defense. They did not. They they were middle of the pack. And quite frankly, that's where the Alouettes find themselves now, too, is middle of the pack they're good but are they good enough and yeah going based on what we've seen against winnipeg and what against bc so far they're good simply isn't good enough no and obviously leading into the game this week versus toronto it could be a big thing i mean they, the owls will have a plus on their side obviously because they'll have a basically a full week toronto won't because they will played on labor day monday um, but obviously Cliff, before we get to that particular thing, uh, I know there's a lot you wanted to mention specifically when it came to what happened at halftime, uh, and the ceremony that we had this week. Um, but also, uh, kind of hinting at that too, uh, we, um, uh, we're going to, uh, be speaking with, uh, a future Alouette Hall of Famer, aren't we? We sure are. He won't officially become a Hall of Famer until uh, September 15th in Hamilton. But uh, we are very, very privileged to be joined by one of the men who was celebrated this past Saturday at Percival Molson Stadium and will be entering that very hallowed hall known as the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Uh, an Alouette's legend, 
uh, two-time Grey Cup winner. Uh, very excited, very honored even to be able to speak with the one and only Hall of Fame bound Josh Burke. And joining us this evening on the flight deck is a certifiable now, as or as of September 15th, will be officially official, a member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He is an LOS legend, a two-time Grey Cup champion, and for my money, one of, if not the best, offensive tackles that's ever played in the Canadian Football League. We welcome this evening Josh Burke to the Alouettes Flight Deck. Josh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Good evening. I uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate the invitation, fellas. Good to hop on with you, and I appreciate the kind words. Not sure uh, all that is accurate, but um, I appreciate it nonetheless, and I'm uh, looking forward to joining you guys. Oh God! I thought I thought you were going to tell me that you there was a third Grey Cup that I didn't mention. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's just two. <laughs> I mean, the best left hat, the best uh, offensive tackle ever in the CFL. I mean, that's pretty high praise. We'll say maybe top twenty. I'll take top twenty. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll agree to disagree, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's move forward. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Josh, as I mentioned, I mean, you were in your heyday. You were part of an all Canadian offensive line that again, even though you still, you seem to disagree with this was one of, if not the best that this league had to offer. Do you ever sit and think to yourself, wow, how incredible is this? Like all Canadian offensive line and so talented. I mean, you ever just sit and pinch yourself thinking like, how did I ever become a member of this vaunted organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about that. Uh, I still remember the day I was drafted by Montreal back in, in college. So I got to give a lot of credit to Jim Pop and the scouting staff and obviously the, the late, great uh, Bob Wettenhall for, for taking a shot on me in the third round. Um, and when I got to Montreal, there was a tremendous amount of talent. And at first, I didn't know if I was going to be able to get on the field very quickly. Uh, but luckily for me, you know, that you know, a couple injuries occurred. And, uh, you know, I think about three weeks after I got there, I was starting my first game. So it was a pretty wild experience. And then obviously the years after that, you know, we just built that solid Canadian talent. And again, I think Jim Pop did a hell of a job of, of finding that talent and, um, you know, finding myself at the left tackle position, which was, you know, um, I think maybe there's more Canadians starting at that position nowadays. Um, hopefully I paved the way for, for some of those gentlemen that come along. But back then, I mean, there was zero Canadian left tackles in the league. I think there was like Alex Gauthier was like the only other one. It was pretty rare. So I just played with a lot of great players. You know, Scott Flory, Brian Chu, Paul Lambert, Luke Fritz, Dave Mudge, um, you know, obviously Luke Brodeur Jordan, uh, Christian Matt, who's still playing. Um, and uh, it was a hell of a ride, man, with a lot of really great players. You just look at those names that you're, you know, do you just name themselves, Josh? I mean, that's a who's who. Anybody who's been following Alouette's football since they got back in 96, especially during the heyday, you know, with AC and Ben Cahoon, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, y you are a part of Alouette's history. I mean, it's what's your thought on being a, a part, uh, just basically being a part of Alouette's nation for as long as you have and being, for you know, well as well known as you are? I, I feel very fortunate. I mean, um, you know, those were some of the, the best years of my life. Um, obviously, I made, you know, Montreal my home year round, chose to stay there in the offseason, built some really great relationships throughout the city, uh, not only with, you know, fellow teammates, but, you know, restaurant owners, bar owners, um, you know, all types of different people. I was friends with pretty much everybody, right? So um, I really enjoyed, um, you know, the team, obviously, and, and the years that I played there. And, um, 
you know, those were the glory days. Um, you know, we were, we were so good and we knew we were just going to show up and, and kick everyone's ass. And, uh, it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. And, but we worked our butts off too. Right. And obviously we were led by, um, you know, after my first year, 2008, Mark Trestman came in and did a fantastic job, um, you know, teaching us all how to be pros and how to push each other and make each other better. And, uh, and how to win the day was our, was our slogan that year. And, and certainly that's what we built for the next X amount of years that led to, uh, you know, three Grey Cup appearances, a couple Grey Cups, and a lot of uh, a lot of winning games. I think today, hey Cliff, we we even still say win the day. If, if you know, you know. If you're a part of that period, whether you were a player or whether you were, you know, a, a supporter in the stands, Josh. I mean, it. it we really, you know, embraced what Coach Tressman brought to the team, and as you said, professional. Because you know, there there's a lot of por- portions of what happens inside the locker room and many stories stuff like that 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 supporters really don't know about, and it's. You know, what can you say when it comes to Mark Trust? I mean, what, how much of an influence was he for you as a player? Oh, huge influence. I mean, I played for some awesome coaches, right? I mean, I played for Brian Kelly at Grand Valley, right? He's at, you know, LSU playing, um, coaching Notre Dame, you know, worked his way up. And he's a fantastic offensive coach and, uh, and you know, a guy that uh, I respect uh, on a really high level. You know, I played for Mike McCarthy and with the Packers, right? Obviously, he's had a really long, you know, had a long career with Green Bay, won a Super Bowl. Now he's in Dallas. Um, but for my money's worth, and Mark Trestman, uh, with all due respect to those two gentlemen, was above and beyond the best coach I've ever played for. Not only on an X's and O's level, but on a motivational level, uh, on an accountability level. And uh, accountability was so big for him and, and you know, showing up every day and just trying to get a little bit better. You either get better uh, or you get worse. You don't stay the same. And I've really carried that into my professional life after football. You know, I manage a sales team now, and I tell them, let's just get 1% better on a daily basis. And I tell them, win the day, right? Just go out there and look yourself in the mirror after the day and feel like you got better. That's a good day, right? So, um, you know, Mark taught me how to be a pro. When I showed up in Montreal, I was a young snot-nosed 23-year-old that had no idea how to be a professional, how to carry myself, all the work that it's going to take to put in to be, uh, you know, not only a tremendous player, but a tremendous teammate. And uh, and he certainly, um, you know, taught me that very quickly and taught us as a whole very quickly. And I think the results prove that. So, um, you know, Mark, he texted me this past weekend. He's a hell of a guy. He'll be there next weekend for the induction. And I can't wait to catch up with him. That's am- oh, actually, man. that's cool. That's cool. And now I ha- now we have to get to Hamilton. Um, <laughs> that that would be really cool. And to to piggyback on what you were saying there, uh, you know, when you were a rookie and stuff like that, Josh. I mean, uh, for you, I mean, we know you had a a stint in the NFL before the Alouettes signed you, and, and but what was it? You know, what was it that really drew you to football in general? You know, when you first started, I mean, was it? Was it a family member? Was it somebody that you look up to? I mean, what what in particular turned you over to the game of football? Uh, to be honest with you, it was a very random way I got into football. I didn't grow up playing football. My football, you know, back where I grew up in Windsor, I grew up playing baseball. Like I played travel ball for 15 years, right? That was what I did every single summer, and I spent a lot of my time doing that. Um, I played a little bit of hockey growing up. It was never really my sport. Um, so baseball is what I was focused on, and um, – a random story uh every winter my mom and i would go on a, a mother-son trip in the winter time usually for february break 
when we had some time off and we were up on Blue Mountain. And I've told the story a couple of times with a couple of different media outlets, but we were on the chairlift. And I think at that point I was in seventh grade, grade seven. So I had a couple of years left before high school. I hadn't played a down of organized football yet. And uh, we were on the chairlift randomly with a gentleman, started stroke up, uh, struck up a conversation with him. Um, you know, he's like, hey, man, you're like, you're super, super tall, super big. You ever played football? And we just started talking about that. And it turns out he was uh, he, he was a coach at uh, my future high school in, in Michigan, Orchard Lake St. Mary's, and uh, started talking about football and how the school was awesome. And at that point, we were starting to look at high schools, and I knew I wanted to, to end up in the U.S. And, um, you know, after that conversation, we, we booked a visit at St. Mary's, and the rest is history. And then I showed up, uh, got into the school freshman year, and uh, coach is like, why, why, where have you been for the last three weeks? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, we've been practicing for three weeks, football. I'm like, nobody told me. He's like, well, you're big. Come play. I'm like, all right. It took, it took, me, it took me three years. I didn't start until my senior year of high school. I played junior varsity as a third-year player, which is really embarrassing. Um, so it took me till that fourth and final year of high school uh, to get good enough to start on varsity. And uh, that summer, I just – lifted a ton of weights, came in that year, and just was absolutely dominating people. And everyone's like, what the hell happened to Burke? Holy, holy smoke, guys. <laughs> He's kicking ass out there. And, you know, got recruited to Grand Valley, a small school, and, you know, the rest is history. Well, I think the fact that you're six foot seven, and uh, you, they always say you can't coach size. So, I mean, you've either got it or you don't. So, I mean, I think that no doubt that had to play a huge factor in any possible recruitment or any sort of uh, – you know, can this guy play football kind of thing? And I'm, I'm pretty sure they just took one look at you and like, yeah, this guy's a football player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, even in high school, you know, my, my freshman year, my first year of high school, I was probably, gosh, probably was six, six foot, six, one, six, two, something like that, you know, 220, 230. So, um, you know, I definitely had the body for it, but it took me a number of years to develop the skill set to excel at it but I, you know i stuck with it i loved the game even though i wasn't all that great at it my first three years but i love the physicalness of it i love the fact that i can go out there and hit people and not get in trouble for it and uh stuck with it and you know ended up working out in the end yeah talk to us about being coached as an offensive lineman because a lot of people wrongly have the impression that it's uh, like five big guys uh, whether they're big tall what what however you want to phrase it and they just stand there and you just stop the other guys from coming through and try to get to the quarterback can you take us through a little bit of just what kind of coaching is involved when it comes to offensive linemen? Absolutely. It's, um, I would say it's a strong combination of, um, you know, technique meets mental preparation. I would say it's we're besides quarterbacks. I will not, I will not argue quarterbacks are the smartest people, but I would say right behind quarterbacks, offensive linemen are right up there. Uh, because there's so much thought process that comes in when you're getting up to the line of scrimmage and so many different things can happen and you got to think on the fly and the you know, safety might spin down. They might fire that out, you know, that linebacker off the edge. Um, you know, am I blocking that guy if he comes? Am I not blocking that guy? Am I taking the safety? Am I taking the corner? You know, whatever they might twist. Like there's a lot of things that go into it. And, um, you know, film study is certainly a big proponent of that. Um, what I love about the game is that it's on the offensive line is it's so technical. Um, your feet have to be perfect. Your your hand placement has to be perfect. Um, you know where you put place your head on a block has to be perfect. And if it's not, you're probably going to get beat, right? So a lot, a lot of the lot goes into it. Why do you think there's so many 
false starts when it comes to the offensive line. Like, like I, I understand you, you got, as you said, you got to be ready for at a moment's <laughs> notice for any number of things, but how many times have we seen this where a lineman will just flinch and automatically the flag comes out? Like what, 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 com- what goes, what goes into that thought process? Um, I mean, it might be that he's, he's thinking a little too much before the play. He's just antsy. Cause you think about it. Um, when in life do you just get up to a certain point and just sit there? and wait for something to start, like a statue. It, it's hard, right? So, I mean, um, you know, if you're uh, if you get distracted for one second, that can cause you to twitch, can cause you to flinch, can cause you to just kind of space out and, and jump offside. So also what the defense is doing. You know, if they're stemming on the D-line, right, it might cause you to, to jump. Um, you know, if, you're, if you see that safety starting to spin down and, and thinking he's maybe going to blitz off the edge, maybe you get a little antsy there and, and you jump, right? So... Um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but typically, and then just miscommunication, obviously, like not knowing the staff count, which which happens from time to time, and just not being on the same page as as, uh, as the quarterback. Fair enough. Um, and go, good, go ahead. good, no, good. I was, I was going to ask you. It's like I was going to head back to uh, uh, to your days uh, just out at a university. Um, you know, you were still drafted in the you were drafted in the CFL draft while you were still in school. Now, obviously, you know, where living where you had lived. You knew about the Canadian game. I didn't know if you knew about the Canadian draft, but as a guy who was still in university, what was it like to be drafted, just in, in general, just to be drafted by a pro team in a pro league, to say, to knowing that a team in a pro league wanted you on their team? I mean, it was really cool because uh, I kind of just, I knew the draft was going on that day. and I had an idea just through some different scouts. And, uh, and back then you couldn't really have any relationship with the teams because um, obviously that was a, a violation, right? So I had just done a little bit of digging and, and looked at some blogs online and knew that I was eligible for the draft that year and figured I would get drafted somewhere, um, but I had no idea. You know, I'd be, I'd be a first-round pick, third-round pick, fifth-round pick. Well, who knew, right? So I remember that day I just went to class, came home, checked the draft, and I was like, oh, this team from Montreal drafted me. Um, that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, obviously at that point, I still had another year of, of school left and another year of eligibility. And at that point in time, obviously, the, the NFL was my number one goal. And I was really starting to garner a lot of attention from, from scouts in the NFL coming to practices and stuff like that. So I, I stayed focused on that and knew that, you know, if I continue to play well, that I would definitely have a shot in the NFL. Um, which came to fruition. Obviously, the Packers gave me gave me a shot. Um, you know, didn't stick around the NFL as long as I thought I would. Uh, you know, unfortunately, but at the end of the day, I was still able to have an awesome career. You know, in the CFL, which I mean, there's a lot of other leagues out there. You know, there's the XFL, and I can't keep track of all these leagues that come and go. But um, you know, the NFL is obviously every you know pro's dream is to play in the NFL. But I mean, the CFL is a tremendous league as well, and. Um, there's a lot of great players that have played there, and I, I feel fortunate that I was able to play, you know, 10 years in the league. I, I was just checking the, the draft, and you obviously you outlasted the uh, the the two other guys that uh, were picked before you for the Owls. So <laughs> I don't even you, know who those players would be, to be honest with you. I have no idea. Uh, I had again, I, I wasn't sure about the, the, the about them themselves, but it was. Uh, 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 Jean-Frédéric uh, Tremblay from Laval. That was our number one pick that year. And then the second round, it was uh, Ryan Jeffrey from Wilfrid Laurier. Don't think I ever met either one of those guys. So <laughs> no clue where they went, if they came, if they did it, no idea. 
I, I, I couldn't pick those guys out of a lineup either, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> so. What um, NFL versus the versus CFL? You know, obviously, as you said, it, you know the NFL is for, for most that is the goal. Um, but uh, tell me the different type of, of experiences that you had when it came to your your short time in the in the CFL, and then um, sorry, in the NFL, and then when uh, I guess you decided that. You know the CFL was going to be where you wanted to play. Um, what what was the two experiences between that and then finally signing with the Owls? Um, two very different experiences, um, and I think the CFL has come a long way with different facilities and resources. Um, I, I come from an era where um, it was very different back then. Um, I think a lot of these athletes now. Um, you know, have, have different resources and facilities at their disposal that I didn't have when I was a rookie. So mm -hmm. when I, when I went to green Bay, I mean, the, the NFL, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know, walking into, uh, the Taj Mahal in Vegas. It's like, you have everything you need at the facility, right? You're getting three meals a day. They have professional chefs. They have a cooler in every corner of the room. Um, you can take supplements home. You can I have different pair of shoes in my locker every single day. You know, I was sponsored by, and I was a nobody, right? But I was still sponsored by Reebok. I think I had a $10,000 deal with Reebok. I could order whatever shirts I wanted, sweatshirts, the whole nine yards. And it was just a different a different animal. And, then, and obviously, I played in Green Bay, which is a very small community. So it didn't matter if you were like an Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Donald Driver, or if you were like a Josh Burke who's like barely making the team, the last guy on the roster. Um, they knew who you were everywhere you went, right? So there's a lot of perks that come with that. You know, we free, you know, free restaurants, free golf clubs, this, that, and the other. Uh, so there's always some, it was a very uh, awesome experience. And then going to the CFL, not that it was a direct opposite, but um, it was kind of a humbling culture shock for me. Um, you know, I walk into a meeting room and it's like the size of my bedroom and like guys are just like shoulder to shoulder, but I grew to love it, right? It's one of those things where I'm not a big diva. I don't need anything fancy. I remember when Tressman came in, um, they got to start getting us breakfast in the morning. I'm like, oh, this is okay. All right. This is awesome. And uh, I think since then, you know, things have obviously changed, but um, it was kind of a culture shock at first, but, but I'm a grinder. I'm very, I'm super humble. I don't, I don't need a lot of fancy, uh, ritzy ditzy stuff. So, um, you know, I kind of just showed up to work every day with my lunch pail, worked hard and, uh, you know, and I mean, had a bus to practice, like, what do you mean bust to practice every day? Like that was just, it was, it was just, it was wild, man. It was wild, but we got to, we got to get used to it. And, you know, obviously we flourished during those years. So it really didn't affect us. Yeah. And I was just looking it up too, is that your first year with the Alouettes, you were campus held over in St. Jean. I, I can only imagine what, what you thought as a, as a, just, you know, not, you know, you just come from the NFL and now you're heading over to, uh, to, to St. Jean for, for camp. That itself, I'm sure was a hell of a culture shock. Yeah, well, the funny thing was is that my rookie year in 07, I got there at the end of July, so I actually missed training camp because I was cut by the I was cut by the Packers in June, and then was doing a bunch of workouts with teams and thought I was going to get signed before training camp started. Didn't come to fruition, and finally my agent's like, "All right, well, let's just sign this deal with Montreal, get up there, get some game tape in this year, hopefully you know start some games." And then at that point, you know, I signed a one year with an option. So after that first year in 07, I could have gone back to the NFL. 
if I was afforded the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up tearing my ACL, and that's you know where I played the remainder of my career. Um, so the next year in 2008 would have been my first St. John experience, and I think I think we did that for I want to say. Was it my whole time in Montreal? I think at some point we pivoted and went somewhere else. But I think we went to Bishops towards the end of my career or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 2010, actually. 2010, you went to Lennoxville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the whole St. John thing, like, no one spoke any no one spoke any English. Uh, you know, it was uh, a couple dive bars in town. And uh, it was just, um, it was a lot different than what I was used to, that's for sure. Now, one thing I want, uh, you know, I'm going to continue obviously talking about your career. To, to your, your last comment, what can you, if you were to, to to talk to a player right now that has the option uh, of coming to the CFL and specifically coming to Montreal, and they say to you, "Well, they just they just speak, you know, they they speak." I'm hearing they only speak, you know, they only speak French here, and I won't be able to get around. What would you tell? What would you say to that rookie now, knowing that you've gone through the entire process to uh, to convince them to sign with the Alouettes? Well, it's a fallacy, man. I mean, Montreal is a very cultured city and most people are are by a lot of people are bilingual like anywhere you go to the grocery store like most people speak you know if they're gonna ask you if you want a bag or gonna ask you for french and english right you go to a restaurant mm-hmm. you know most people are very accommodating about that i find you know once you get up to like quebec city and some of those um you know townships out there heading towards lennoxville it tends to be you know very french but i i love the culture there and obviously um you know i took french classes while i was there to try to fit in and Obviously, it's mostly to try to talk to girls at the bar, but uh, that's neither <laughs> here nor there. I don't call my wife that. I went back then. Uh, but it was, it was just, you know, it was, it was one of those cities where that isn't a factor at all, right? If anything, I love that. It's something different, right? You go to Toronto, everyone's speaking English. You go to Calgary, everyone's speaking English, right? And there's a lot of culture in those different cities. Vancouver, obviously, you know, there's a lot of culture going on there. But, but I loved it, and I loved the uniqueness of it. And I really fit in because those types of, unique different type of people are my type of people i don't like regular boring people i like people that are cultured and cool and do things different and that kind of thing okay cool see this is the perfect podcast for you buddy this is you know you want cool and cultured i mean there you go there you go well uh, maybe the cultured part only but no i'm cool you're you're cultured don't 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 tell yourself short you're good all right fair fair. i appreciate that (laughs) all right so you hit the ground running with the alouettes um Mark Tressman comes on board and Yellowitz at that point, uh, I, th- I think a lot of people were wondering what was, what, what do you make of this team? Because you got a new coach with Mark Tressman, uh, you know, Anthony Calvillo, he, he takes, you know, he, even though he's a, a certified legend at this point, a lot of people were starting to doubt whether he could win the big game again and what, what he can do. He takes steps to completely reinvent himself uh, physically, mentally as a quarterback Take us through that that 2008 season where things all started to turn around and turn into that dynasty that became. Yeah, it was, um, you know, when Mark came in, it was just, you know, something shifted with the culture. And I can't speak to the culture. Uh, I think the Alouettes have always had an amazing culture. And Jim Pop did a great job finding talent. Um, I think think in 2007, that was, um, you know, Marcus Brady was playing quarterback. I think Jason Moss started some games, kind of a revolving door at quarterback and I didn't really get much time with AC that year um, but when Mark came in it was kind of like a, a light switch came on and um, you know just with some of his experience and how intelligent of a coach he was um, he commanded respect right away and he did a really good job 
of um, and it's it's harder it's harder than you think it is when you come into a new situation setting that tone and being able to um, paint the vision of what this thing's going to look like, guys. If we you know we have plenty of talent. If we work harder than everybody else, if we are you know come in early, leave late, um, you know be students of the game, you know study film. Uh, practice ones versus ones, show up every single day to make each other better and not just lollygag through practice that, you know, we were going to be one of the teams standing at the end and that we believe that from day one. And that was the tone set from day one. And I think Anthony at that point in his career, um, like you said, re, you know, really started taking care of his body. You know, he saw a shift in his diet. He saw a shift um, in his mental preparation um, you know, he was in so early every single day and was one of the last ones to leave. And he held everybody else accountable to that standard. And um, at the, quite frankly, I mean, there's a lot of talented teams out there. We just we wanted it more than everybody. And uh, and we worked harder than everybody. And that's why we had success. Now, you were responsible for protecting AC's blind side. How did that come about? Like, at what point did it feel like, okay, this is my job. And at what point did AC feel like, okay, I can trust this guy and this is who I want protecting me. Probably uh, maybe halfway through that 2008 season. Cause I was coming off an ACL. So the first couple games of the season, I was, I dressed, but I wasn't starting. I think at that point, I think I want to say they had, um, I don't know if Jeff Parrott was playing left tackle then, or if it was Luke Fritz and Dave Mudge at right tackle. I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, but it took a little bit of time, and I remember I think Mudge got hurt in that. I believe we were playing Calgary. It was the second or third game of the season at home. And then I went in for the rest of that game and um, played really well. I think I played like you know, half the third quarter and the fourth. Maybe it was just the fourth quarter. I, I don't, but played really well. And um, from then on, you know, I just, I was like, all right, well, this is, I'm seizing this opportunity. I'm like, listen, I started last year uh, a number of games before I got hurt. So, I was just waiting for my opportunity again. I think they wanted to just ease me back in with the knee. And ever since that that first game where I came back in after that injury, that was my job. And I was never going to relinquish that job ever again uh, under any circumstances. And uh, I think pretty quickly um, AC understood that I was going to do everything in my power not to get him touched. And uh, I wasn't perfect. Nobody is. But um, he didn't get touched all that often. He sure did not. <laughs> Now, that 2008 season, Alouettes hosting the Grey Cup, go to the Grey Cup, and unfortunately come up a bit short. Uh, since you were relatively, uh, like a relative newcomer at that point, I mean, with only one or two years behind your belt, did you feel like, uh, losing the Grey Cup sucks, there's no question about that, but did you feel like, okay, well, yeah, it sucks that lose, but we'll, we're going to be going back. Did you have that thought, or was it kind of that do-or-die mentality of, oh, you know, this was our chance, and we we didn't do it and will we ever get another chance to do this? Um, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that after that game in the locker room, we knew we were going to the great cup the next year and we knew we were going to win it. That was just the mentality, uh, all the faces, all the, all the cries, all the tears, all the disappointment. Um, Cause I still believe we're the better team. We just, for some reason that game, we just decided not to show up. And uh, I mean, I'm not going to take credit away from Calgary. Obviously they were a great team as well. Um, you know, led by Henry Burris. But, um, you know, that was just a game that slipped away from us and a, a really, really great opportunity playing in a great cup at home. Maybe we were distracted by the by playing at home that whole week. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on the reason why we lost. 
But we left that locker room. I remember going out that night and, you know, just being super emotional with my brother. And uh, I knew, and, and after leaving that locker room that night, um, the work really began shortly after that. And guys were had that, ta- that bad taste, that sour taste in their mouth. And when we showed up uh, to off-season workouts and, and then later on training camp, um, it, was, it was gray cup or die. That, that was our mentality. Like we were not leaving the season without going back to the Grey Cup and winning it. Um, and that was our mentality. And that was a hell of a season in 2009, going 15 and three and uh, just absolutely dominant throughout the year. I mean, like, like I said, only three losses and it, it was simply incredible. I, I mean, like it really felt like whatever Tressman was trying to instill in with you guys, it showed. I mean, you, you saw it every time that you guys took the field it was just intensity. It was preparation. It was everything that you had talked about earlier. Like we got to see that each and every game day. Yeah, we were, um, we wanted to embarrass people. We wanted to embarrass people. We want to beat them down mentally. Um, and we wanted to blow people out and that's what we tried to do. Um, you know, obviously we had the three losses, but, um, you know, we knew we were better than everybody just because of our purely because of our preparation. Like there's a lot, like I said, like, do we have more talent than everybody else? I mean, you could argue, maybe we did, maybe we didn't, um, you know, but we just, we worked so hard and we did it for the person beside us, right? We were a very, very, very close team. Um, not too many guys didn't get along. Obviously, we're going to, you know, brothers and sisters, we get it. We disagree sometimes, right? There's going to be fights, there's going to be spats, there's going to be conflicts, um, but everybody had each other's back and, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's nice to show up on game day and know you're going to kick someone's ass. It's pretty, it's a pretty cool feeling. Um, and that's the way we felt every, every single game. And we knew we were just going to go out there and dominate and nobody's taking this from us. That's got to be a great feeling. Just knowing that you're going to go in there and kick somebody's ass. I mean, that's got to be very cathartic, really, when you think about it. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And then obviously it ended with that bonkers gray cup. I mean, what a way to cap off the off the year. I mean, it's it, it's gone down, you know, as many other things in in CFL history have, and with the Alouettes, it's gone down in, in you know uh, CFL lore about what happened in that game, and obviously the infamous the the infamous thirteenth man and stuff like that. And but it's we can you know I'm sure Cliff and I remember how we were reacting watching it on television. We can only imagine how you guys felt on the field just going it was just a continuous game of ups and downs and to, just the way that you guys just came storming back in and got that second chance to win that gray cup yeah it was um i'm not sure if we would have lost that that I, I'm, I'm saying what i said five minutes ago about knowing we we're going to go to the gray cup the next year and win i'm not sure we would have recovered from that i'm not sure we would have recovered from that that would have been really really difficult uh, maybe a tough-minded group, you know, maybe would have rallied and, and come back the next year and uh, been ready to get the job done. But um, that game, I think, um, you know, was part, probably definitely the craziest game I've ever been a part of, of, of on any level. And just the ups and downs and, you know, seeing the guys' faces at, at halftime and, um, you know, there was some doubt there. I'm not going to lie to you. There were, there was some doubt there. Uh, it was a little bleak at halftime, but we rallied the troops and we said, listen, guy, we are a better team. We're playing like shit. If we can figure out a way to play Alouette football, we will come back and we'll give ourselves a chance to win. There's so much time in the CFL. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's what we did. We came, you know, storming back, obviously, in the fourth quarter. Um, 
and uh, we're able to, to cut the deficit in that the last, I believe, seven and a half minutes. I still go on YouTube and, and watch that once in a while uh, because it still gives me goosebumps to this day. Um, but what a crazy game to be a part of. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just very fortunate that um, whatever you believe and whoever you pray to, we got that extra opportunity at the end. Because um, I don't think Damon Duvall would have made it back to Montreal alive, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you brought him up because I we've asked this of everybody that's been on the podcast who was part of that that football game, and I, now we have to ask you. In an interview, Duval had said that he had seen like as he was kicking the ball, he saw the flags going up, so he kind of purposely misdirected it. <laughs> do you believe that, no or chance. do you think no chance? No chance. <laughs> Absolutely not. He's full. He's full of shit. He's absolutely. I love Damon. He's a great kicker, man. And I always liked the guy. Um, good dude. You know, good football player. You know, was a, was a great kicker in the CFL for a long time. Uh, but he, he's he's full of shit on that one. There's no. Chance. <laughs> Why would you not want to make it? And the game's over. You don't have to kick it again. Like, duh. Like, come on, man. I'm not buying it. Uh, he just shanked it. It is what it is. Um, it happens. We got fortunate, you know, they, they trotted out one too many men on the field. He got another opportunity. Now, what I will say is that we'll give him a ton of credit. Um, I would never want to be a kicker, man. We give him a lot of stuff. We give him a lot of shit. Sean White, still a good buddy. I still give him crap to this day. Because um, do I consider them football players? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But, I mean, they have a tough job, man. And, and I would not want to be in that position to have to kick a game-winning field goal after we come storming back. And then you miss the first one. Um, I don't know, man. Confidence level can't be at a really uh, a high level at that point, but he, I got to give him credit. He moved it up ten yards or whatever it was. And he kicked it again, and the second one was a no-brainer. So um, I got to give him a lot of credit because he he stepped back up, uh, got the job done, and uh, you know confetti was raining, and, and we were having a good time. Is that I have a, to laugh. It, Sorry, I have to laugh because uh, we had Ben Cahoon on for our 100th episode, and we asked him about this, and. He basically said what you said, but it was a lot more cleaned up. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love Damon, man. I love Damon. If he ever listens to this, he knows I love him. But I'm not buying it, man. I can't, I can't buy that. We love Is him, that... too. And we're, we're hoping one day we can get him on the show as well and, and talk about this because I'm sure he'll be like, did I really say that? And like, yeah, dude, you really did. And now we've got a whole bunch of your teammates saying, uh, no, no. That. So. Is that the uh, obviously you won another you you did win another Grey Cup? But did, what what has what, what has been the the history of that particular Grey Cup ring? Is it something you still wear to the day, or is it something that you put in a safe? Is it is it is it on a shrine there in, in you know in your living room or in your man cave? But what 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 is the current uh, location of that first Grey Cup ring? The f- current location of that. First Grey Cup ring is in my closet, but it gets worn every day at work. So uh, I'm in sales. I transitioned to sales right after I retired, and uh, I was an outside sales rep before I took over as a manager. And uh, I wore, I've worn my, I I might miss the odd day and forget to put it on, but I I pretty much worn that particular ring, the first one, um, almost every single day of my of my sales career. just for the pure fact of, of an icebreaker and a talking piece. Um, because, you know, people, even if they're not football fans, like, man, what is that ring you rocking right there? Right? Even if it's I'm walking in cold to a business, right? They, people, and there's a lot of football fans out there, so it's led to a lot of cool conversations. 
and shared moments like, oh yeah, I was watching that game or hey, I'm a big I'm a big CFL fan, even if they're not an Alouettes fan and stuff like that in the Windsor area. But yeah, so I still wear it every single day to this day. The other one, the second one, um, that's more of a, you know, a shrine, I guess, you know, it's kind of stayed, stayed in the, uh, in the old drawer and safekeeping, uh, probably because most of my fingers are all damaged and I can't really wear it. And my wife would get mad if I took off my wedding ring to wear that ring. So (laughs) that one kind of stays behind closed doors, but I still, I still rock the first one all the time. That's cool. And that's gotta be quite the flex to be able to walk in with that particular gray cup ring for people. I mean, just like, like what, what? what potential person is going to say no to whatever you have to pitch them based on that ring alone. Sign here, sign here. That's all I got to (laughs) do. Incredible. You talk about obviously multiple great cups. And we've asked this question before, Josh, is that do either, I know know some players keep track of, you know, they have stats they want to set every year. Uh, They want to have doing things within a career and stuff like that. And, you know, multiple championships or where do, where do these, two Grey Cup championships rank within your career, obviously more obviously less what we're currently talking about today and why we had you on with the, with the Hall of Fame, but where do your two Grey Cup championships uh, rank for you? Um, probably my proudest accomplishment, especially that first one. Um, I'm, I'm a big team guy. Like the Hall of Fame's awesome. I feel very honored. Um, you know, it's a very humbling, humbling experience. And I know that it's going to be a hell of a time. Uh, next weekend and something that I'll cherish forever and it's it's nice that it happened early even though I am getting old I'm 40 now but I'll be able to enjoy that hopefully for many many years to come Um, because a lot of people don't get afforded that opportunity you know some have passed away some are you know in their 90s or some are later on in life and uh, I do consider myself fortunate there and and I will enjoy that Um, but those those two gray cups are something that no one will ever take away from us and uh like I said, there, there's been a lot of really great teams in the CFL and a lot of really great, talented people and players. Um, but top to bottom, as far as an organization, Bob Wettenhall, um, love that man. Um, you know, as far as the owner goes, top-notch owner. Jim Pop, top-notch GM. Mark Tressman, top-notch coach, and he built a great coaching staff. And our players were top-notch players. And we were good guys off the field, too, and gave back to the community and did all the right things and, uh, and that kind of thing. And I think uh, I put our team up with anybody. Those, those Grey Cup teams, I don't think there's many teams out there in the CFL history that, could, that can hang with us. Um, and if someone disagrees, I'll have that argument with them. Uh, but that's just how I feel. Oh, and I want to be there if they want to have their argument. I'll be sitting there with the popcorn like, all right, here we go. Because uh, <laughs> you got to convince a lot of people, including Josh and myself, that, you know, if you're better, if you were better, I want to hear it. I want to hear that argument. That's right. That's right. And- um, uh, you look, obviously we're going through, you know, I want, one thing I want to ask you about before we talk about your, uh, you know, what your, uh, your, your current, uh, hall of fame, um, uh, experiences, obviously you're going to have more next week, but, um, we, we've asked players when it comes up to certain things, whether it be, you know, we, ha- we get into a CBA year or we come up to where there's a potential that they may be leaving the Alouettes or, you know, or a, a signing of that type of thing. Um, you were in in 2014 you just finished your your contract or, or in 2013 you finished your contract and it expired in early of 2014 february 2014 so you were quickly supposedly they were saying that you were quickly resigned approximately two hours before becoming a free agent are you able to to walk 
us through that type of your you know your experience going through that because if, if i'm not mistaken at the time after the al signed you you were one of the uh highest paid non qbs in you know players in the league but what what's your experience when it came to dealing with contract negotiations and that type of stuff and like especially in this type of situation um that one in particular it, it came down to the wire it really did i mean it's true that uh i believe it, it actually got done um, the morning free agency was opening, maybe like right before the bell. I, I think free agency opened maybe at like noon or something. And uh, I remember going for breakfast with my agent at the time, Tim Pfizer. And uh, that deal, there was a lot of talk. It was quiet for a lot of the off season after, after we finished up the season, which is not uncommon. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks before free agency opens is when things tend to heat up a little bit. Um, and my goal was always to sign back in Montreal. I, I wanted to be there. Um, I also wanted to make a lot of money, right? I felt at that point that, um, you know, I had proven myself as one of the elite um, tackles in the game. The fact that I was Canadian, I was a ratio buster, um, you know, played a, a position that was dominated by Americans. Uh, my value was that was never going to be any higher. So I wanted to cash in on that. Um, and I was, I was willing to, you know, maybe take a little bit less than another team would have given me. Um, and those last couple hours, and I spoke with Bob Wettenhall the, the, day, the night before, um, I spoke with Jim Pop, you know, countless times. And um, you know, we were able to hammer out a deal that morning. And it came to a number that both parties were comfortable with. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, continued my career with Montreal. That's cool. That's cool. Now, I, I, I have to ask, throughout all the contracts that you've signed within the CFL, was there ever one thing that and you don't have to be give specifics, but I mean, was there ever one thing that you really wanted within a contract, whether it was something fun for you or you know some sort of perk, you know, like like I only want blue M and M's that type of thing. And one thing in your contract that you that you never got that you wish you could have? Uh, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I had some cool things in my contract. I probably could share that. It'd probably be a better answer for you. Okay. I was a big traveler, right? So I had a, a big travel. Uh, bonus in my uh, that I could use for travel. So I think I had, um, as far as a dollar figure, I think it was like ten thousand a year I could spend on travel. Uh, so one year I um, did a Europe trip. So I flew like first class to England and went to England um, with my buddy who was doing his masters there at the time. So we went to um, we went to Prague, Czech Republic. We went to um, Madrid, Spain. We went to Amsterdam, and it was an awesome like literally like two week trip. Um, so like stuff like that, I was a big travel. Mm -hmm. I like that travel, travel money in there. Um, and that's kind of, you know, used for flights anywhere. I can use it for trains, planes, automobiles, whatever the heck you wanted. And, uh, but nothing, nothing really crazy, uh, outside the box or unique. It's, uh, they're pretty boring for the most part. That's, that's still a pretty cool thing though. Cause you know, what what a player would have if they could cho choose one specific thing and you choose something that you are allowed to use in the off season so you could wind down and then get ready for the next upcoming season so it's a very unique idea and, and whenever it comes to contract negotiations i know they can be tense sometimes depending on you know it, what type of you know what type of a relationship you have with the team but I love hearing that type of stuff, and I think you know what I'm probably gonna, Josh. I'm gonna the more players we talk to, I think the more that's what I'm gonna ask going forward because that's I love hearing about the inner workings of a contract negotiation, not necessarily the money portion, but just hearing this type of stuff where a player is thinking outside of the box for something that they know that they would love to use outside of football. 
Yeah, for sure. Everybody has their different passions and everything makes different sense for everybody. So um, that was one thing that I definitely took. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. That, that is extremely cool. <laughs> uh, now, in a perfect world, you would have finished your career with the Montreal Alouettes. But uh, in 2016, you went and signed with the Argos. Uh, was it strictly for money? Was it strictly because the team, like the Alouettes, didn't believe in you anymore? What, what was the reasons why you decided to go with Double Blue to sort of finish your football career? Uh, there's a lot of factors that went into it. Um, money really wasn't the issue, to be honest with you. We were, I think the Argos gave me like 10 grand more than Montreal. It wasn't really a money. Um, it was more the fact, um, at that point I was doing a lot of media stuff and, uh, and I believe like Joey and I had a show on TSN 690 and I believe that that was going to be my avenue after football. So I thought, what better city to be in, you know, than, you know, the broadcasting mecca of Toronto. And it's going to open up a lot of opportunity for me. Um, certainly the fact that I was an Ontario boy um, went into play. But the, the, the bottom line was, and the, the main reason I left, was I just wanted to win again. And, and it, didn't, it didn't work out with Toronto. In fact, uh, it was probably, if I'm looking back on it, if I'm being honest with myself, and I haven't really said this publicly, it was probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life with all due respect to the Argos. Um, it just, it, I never felt at home there. Um, and it was one of those weird things where, um, you know, on paper we should have had a great cup championship level team and it never materialized. There's some things that went on behind closed doors that uh, I'm not going to speak about publicly uh, disagreements that I had with the organization and the coaching staff at that point in time. And uh, it just was an ugly situation and it was too bad. My career had to end that way. Um, but, uh, it is what it is, right? You make choices in life, you live with them. Um, certainly I was the, the one controlling the ship when I made that decision. And, uh, but looking back at it, um, you know, if I had to go back and make the same choice again, um, there's no doubt that I would have chose to stay in Montreal, but that's the life you live, right? Yeah. You don't get second chances sometimes. But say Cliff, you and I have talked about this many a time that every player in football or in sports can write a book. So, Josh, when's the book coming out? We want to hear that. We want you to spill the tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never, I'll never uh, discuss uh, that because I have a lot of respect for uh, like a lot of the guys over. And there's no bl bad blood to this day. You know, if I saw some of the guys that I'm speaking about uh, mm -hmm. indirectly here, you know, it would be a, a cordial hello and, and a hug and all that type of thing. Um, so I'm just not the type of guy to air dirty laundry. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of a tidbit there, but um, you know, as yeah. far as the the way the, the the season went down with Toronto, but um, you know, it was just one of those things where it just didn't work out. And um, you know, at that point in time, I don't know if I fell out of love with football that year, or um, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, certainly, after that year, they released me and. You know, I was talking to my agent still, and there was maybe some still some opportunities. And at that point in time, I, I kind of realized the longer it went on that, um, you know, I think I've given everything I can give, both physically and emotionally here. And maybe it's time to look to the future and, and step outside of, uh, of football. And, uh, you know, kind of transition into my professional life. And I never, I really never looked back. So um, I think it all worked out in the end. Well, I mean, you're very fortunate in the sense that you didn't overstay your welcome. I, I think uh, when people think of you as a member of the Alouettes and you know, even to a lesser degree of the Argonauts, 
they remember the good things. They remember the the championships. They remember all the dominant play. Like they always say, it's better to leave a year too soon than a year too late. And mm-hmm. it could very well be that that was the case in, when it came to, um, as you say, transitioning to the the next chapter of your career. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, could I have hey could I have grinded out a couple more years? Absolutely. I, I was good enough to you know even if I was playing at 70, 80, you know seventy sixty percent of the player that I was in those, you know, those really good years, I would have been good enough to continue to play. Um, but you know what? Um, I think it's uh, one of those things where the longer the process went on and um, it became apparent to me that maybe I'm not as good anymore as I thought I was because nobody's really showing much interest. So uh, at that point, I kind of just disengaged and, um, you know, f- thought about the future and, and um, focused on, next steps for me in my professional career with life after football and, um, and attacked the next phase uh, of the game, which was, you know, obviously my, my sales career. It by the way, it, it didn't, before we move on, it, it didn't nod you at all. Cause we've spoken to so many players who don't, aren't playing the game anymore. And each have had, each have had different answers when it came to how they retired. Obviously it sounds like you're able to do it on your own terms, but did it gnaw on you that, that you didn't, nobody quote unquote wanted you anymore or or, as you said it was just like that done and i'm moving on uh it stung a little bit i'm not gonna lie to you right um i remember that last game and i I played a pretty horrible game um we played at hamilton and uh i didn't play all that well and i remember leaving the field thinking like it was a weird eerie feeling i'm like this could be the last game i ever play like and then it put me on the six game injured list that next week and that was kind of the end of the, the season for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was just, that was just kind of the culmination of everything. And um, there's a lot of factors that, that went into things. But um, I wouldn't be lying if I, I was a little upset at the way it ended. Um, but, you know, I also have myself to blame for that. Could I have played better? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, and things like that. But um, I try to not let that overshadow, which was a, you know, a tremendous career and, uh, like I said, I'm not going to let one percent out of a hundred percent ruin mm-hmm. you know, my uh, my career and how I played and how I carried myself um, because that would just be foolish. So, couple obviously, couple years down the line, you you get the call. We want to hear about that, obviously. But did you ever expect that you would get the call to hear that you were being going to be a inductee into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame? I figured it would come at some point. I didn't figure it would come this early. Um, but I thought, you know, with, with the way how I played and, um, you know, the number of all-stars and, and the caliber of play that I, that I did for so long and the championships and, and all that type of thing, that I would have a really good shot. Um, I just didn't know when. I figured it would be um, – I didn't think I'd have to wait like 30 years or something crazy like that. But I thought maybe, hey, like 10, 15, 20 years down the road, I can live with that. But the fact that it happened, um, you know, I guess – about six years after I retired is pretty cool. And, uh, and one that, uh, I was pretty shocked to find out about and, um, and pretty humbled obviously, but figured it would come at some point, but, uh, ha- certainly happy that it came, um, you know, a little quicker than expected. how did you find out who was the person that called you? Um, so actually jo- Joey Alfieri reached out to me like, Hey, we're doing a story on, um, I believe it would have been like the 20 year reunion. Is it 20 years? That can't be 20 years now. Whatever, 10 year reunion, maybe. I don't remember. Of uh, the, the 
the Grey Cup winning teams or some celebration. I'm probably way off on the dates, but um, and he's like, "Do you mind doing an interview?" I said, "Sure, sure, no problem." And uh, you know, logged on. It was similar to this. It was a uh, you know Streamyard deal, and um, and hopped on. And Pure Virtual was on as well, and um, you know, you know, had some small talk for a couple minutes, and then basically shared the news with me, and uh, it was pretty pretty caught off guard, and I was pretty uh, pretty emotional, and uh, I was. For the one time in my life, I was pretty speechless. <laughs> wow, that's that's cool. Uh, we got a surprise for you. This is no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. Did did your did your did your family know before you? Had they been given a nope. hint about this? Oh no! Oh wow! I, I did keep it quiet too because they weren't announcing it for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So I, I told my really close friends and my told them to keep it. Keep it quiet. Not that anyone follows Josh Burke on social media or anything anymore, but <laughs> didn't want to let the cat out of the bag and respect for the league and all that type of thing. And the other inductee kept it under wraps. That's that's cool. And now I've I, we've had other Hall of Famers on too, and I I, I don't know why I haven't asked this question. So you get the call so far up until you know the the ceremony coming up next week. What have you done to lead up to that for the Hall of Fame? I mean. Uh, ring size, uh, coat size. Did they do anything when it came to to the your your Hall of Fame bust? Give us a little bit behind the scenes on what a a, a future upcoming Hall of Famer does before they are officially enter, uh, entered into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of a lot of what you just mentioned. Um, you know, sending in your ring size, sending in your jacket size. So uh, I wear a ja I wear a, a suit every day for work. So I was pretty dialed in on my sizes there, but I just want to make sure. You know, um, you know, I communicated that to them. Uh, sending a bunch of weird pictures of your face and back of your head and stuff like that, so they can do that that cool facial thing that they do. Um, and just mostly, that was kind of like the only really legwork. Um, and then a lot of it was just logistical stuff, like, hey, you know, who am I going to invite to this thing? Who's available to come? Um, you know, how am I getting tickets to this? How am I getting tickets to that? When's this? When's that? Um, and just starting to plan for the weekend. So mm -hmm. um, not a whole lot of back and forth. They, the, you know, CFLs and their staff has done a really good job of communicating and making sure um, you know, everything was um, you know, done in a timely fashion. And I have no doubt that it will be a first-class uh, you know, weekend next weekend. Yeah. Which is, uh, is going to be easier for you, talking, uh, talking this past week at the Alouette celebration of you guys or giving your speech at the Hall of Fame ceremony? I'm pretty comfortable talking. Uh, I talk a lot, right, uh, in my job. So I'm uh, I'm very comfortable speaking, public speaking. I enjoy public speaking. If anything, it'll be hard for me to limit it to the four minutes that they've allotted me. So hopefully I don't get the old, uh, like, Oscars music in the back. <laughs> like, you know, security comes up and grabs me. But, um, That'd be a pretty big hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... I think last week was more just, you know, I certainly I had some things in, in my head that I wanted to say. It was more off the cuff, you know, 45 seconds to a minute, um, where this one will be a little bit more structured. And I don't typically like, like writing out speeches, um, but for this stage, um, just keep me organized because I tend to have a little bit of a scatterbrain. You know, I'll write my thoughts down and, uh, and be able to articulate it, but I look forward to that and looking forward to, uh, you know, sharing that moment with my family. Now, how about this... Uh... This 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 year's class has a very Alouettes flavor to it with uh, yourself, John Bowman, Larry Smith, Jacques Dussault, uh, Lloyd Fairbanks. I mean, 
can you did you ever imagine that you would have like so many contemporaries uh, like all, all people that know what it what it means to be a montreal alouette joining you for this yeah i think it's um i think it's pretty unprecedented i mean to have maybe another you know member of uh, the organization that you used to play for come in with you would probably be um maybe you know somewhat normal but to have you know um you know a number of them coming in with you is pretty cool um you know i got a chance to i haven't seen larry in years um so we got a chance to catch up last weekend and uh, i love larry he was a, a tremendous president did a lot of really great things for the organization um got nothing but respect for for him him and i always got along really well you know on a professional and uh, uh and personal level and obviously you know um you know john bowman right like um still a really dear friend to this day him and i um we've we've uh you know life's busy now right um after football you're used to seeing each other every single day but we him and i trained in the off season together you know i'd pick him up every time we went to go work out i'd pick him up um you know we uh we spent a lot of time in the off season together taking french classes doing dinners we spent a lot of time hanging out going out the whole nine yards so uh, him and I were very, very close, and, and we played against each other every single day for, you know, pretty much nine years straight. Um, so I'm really proud of him, and the fact that I get to go in with him um, is definitely pretty special. Yeah, Dan, it's, it's going to be quite the ceremony. I mean, we, we had quite the ceremony this past Saturday, watching you and John and everybody else get their flowers, and I only imagine it's going to be like times 10 when it's actually official in Hamilton that you officially become – members of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's starting, the the closer it comes, it's starting to really sink in. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the, the, the closer it gets here, you know, I think, um, you know, I've had some time to reflect. And um, I'm just, I'm looking forward to it uh, on a lot of different levels, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my wife can kind of give her pain of vision and, uh, you know, give her the opportunity to see through my eyes, you know, what those years meant to me. Cause at that time we weren't even dating, right? We started my last year in Toronto and obviously my son wasn't born and he's the age. He had a great time at the game. He didn't want to leave the game. I had to like beg him to leave last, uh, last weekend. So he's getting to the age now where he'll be three in December and he loves football and uh, loves throwing the football around. So hopefully, um, you know, he's able to, uh, to take something out of the weekend and, and can't wait to, uh, to share that with them. I was about saying let, let's let's hope the first reveal of your Hall of Fame bust is a positive one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will be. Hopefully. <laughs> so, again, we we've gone through this Hall of Fame career of yours. Um, I mean, being 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 in Montreal, being a, a part of championship teams. I mean, you look back at your career, and it wasn't perfect, as as you had stated. But when you look back, I mean, is there one particular thing that you're going to look back on and say? that made it all worthwhile? Um, that's a tough question. I would say um, just battling through the amount of, and I didn't miss much time, but I can tell you that I was, I was hurt um, a fair amount. Um, and a lot of times people didn't even know that I was hurt, but I was hurt. Um, obviously I had some big injuries, right? I tore my ACL my rookie year, <clears throat> tore my pack, I believe. That was the year I won offensive line of the year. So that would have been 2011. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I wasn't able to play in that playoff game. Um, and countless MCL sprains and ankles and fingers and stuff like that. So just being able to battle through all that, um, you know, made things, you know, you know, and the fact that we were so good made it worthwhile, but continuously just putting my body through, 
um, literal hell every single every single year, and continuing to to push through, um, probably you know made it all worthwhile. And and obviously you know, that first Grey Cup is just a, a memory that um, and that night in the parade for the first time. And uh, I got I got so drunk at the parade that uh, <laughs> I didn't make it. The next night, all the guys went up to Quebec City and partied up there. And I was literally in my bed for the whole the whole day. I couldn't make it, and that was a hell of a time too. And then that's that, after the second year we won it. I made sure I was at that party up in Quebec City. That was, <laughs> that was a hell of a time too. So uh, a lot of really great moments. And and people always ask me, I love, you know, maybe leave you guys with this. People always ask me, you know, do you miss football? And I say, no, I don't miss football. I miss the guys. You know, I miss the I miss the hotels. I miss the dinners. I miss the plane rides. I miss the train rides. The bus rides. Uh, the going out and grabbing a beer after the game, the, the adopting Alouette stuff, uh, giving back to the community and, and all that camaraderie that comes with being on a team. That's the stuff I still miss to this day. And I try to um, make believe it up in my real life, I guess, with my friends and playing fantasy football and doing this, that, and the other. But nothing will ever compare to being a part of a team like that with so many different types of individuals from different races, um, you know, ethnic backgrounds, you know, life backgrounds and all that type of stuff. Everyone just comes together as one and has a common goal. Um, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, congratulations, Josh. It is a, uh, it is something well-deserved. Um, I, I can only, you know, if, if you've, if the supporters had not had a chance to see you play, go back and, and watch some of these games because the, the it's a well-deserved accolade for this guy to be uh, going into the hall of fame this week. And, um, we appreciate you being a part of Alouette's Nation. We, pay, we appreciate you being a part of the CFL family, Josh. Uh, you know, you're a part of Al's history, and you will always be a part of Al's history. So, uh, we 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 appreciate your time, uh, especially for this longer interview. But we appreciate your time, man. And uh, uh, we'll be watching from afar uh, next week when you when you get inducted. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me, and appreciate you giving me uh, the platform to share some of my stories on. Anytime you want to come back on, you're certainly more than welcome to. And next time you come on, it will be officially as a CFL <laughs> Hall of Famer. So that's that's pretty damn cool. There you go, man. Yeah, looking looking forward to it. And yeah, just drop me a line. I'm always uh, always awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, again, uh, savor every moment of this upcoming week. No, I will. I appreciate appreciate uh, appreciate making some. That was one hell of an interview. <laughs> Wow. That yeah, again, we've had Hall of Famers on the show, but now yes. to have a potential, well, when we tape this, he will be a inductee, a future inductee, but but just just still any any way that we're able to to talk with a player, find out about his about his history, to find out about, you know, what made him tick as an Alouette, you know, as a player in the CFL is just and and the amount of people, and I know you wanted to talk about this, just the amount of people with him this this year you know when he's being inducted i'm sure it means it means so much to him to know that uh, just the amount of alouettes that are going in with him i'm sure he's just over the moon oh absolutely and the fact that there are so many of his former teammates were saluting him as well and these are also hall of famers as well like kind of like just welcoming yet a number mem another member of the club on board i mean mm -hmm. that's just got to be such a trip that's got to be so exciting for josh and 
so thankful that he was able to come on and, and speak with us and share, you know, his thoughts on, you know, the whole process uh, from starting out uh, as a Canadian uh, offensive lineman all the way into the hallowed hall of fame. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just absolutely fantastic. Definitely appreciate Josh joining us for this. And, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to be able to truly say that, yes, we have make it officially official that we have interviewed yet another <laughs> CFL or sorry, Canadian football hall of famer. There you go. Um, I, I just, I, I just, I want it. I'm, I'm still looking forward. I think I should be able to see it soon. Soon. I, th I think it is going to be currently available. I'm hoping, but real quickly before we get to the, uh, get to the preview of the Alouettes versus the Argos, uh, any quick thoughts on the uh, on the halftime ceremony that they did for them? Again, just the multitude of players that we had in town this week. Yeah, uh, I mean, let's face, let's face it. This is a very Alouettes friendly Hall of Fame class this year. Uh, you're talking about guys like uh, Larry Smith, uh, Jacques Dussault, Josh Burke, who we just had on, and John Bowman, who currently serves as the defensive line coach for the BC Lions. He was there, and it was kind of a funny moment, seeing as that he, he he's getting saluted by everybody and coming down the aisle, so to speak, and joining the uh, the dais with the other uh, Hall of Famers, wearing his BC Lions gear. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a surreal moment, because let's not forget, John Bowman, who we've had on the show, obviously, uh, spent his entire CFL playing career with the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah. And is had to be saluted. And of course, it's just absolutely perfect. That they had this ceremony when the BC Lions were in town so that John could properly get his flowers from the organization and from the fans and all that. Cause he had a bit of a, a small ceremony. Was it was last year or the year before. And it was just it as we got this, good. It's just as we were just coming out of COVID. Yeah. It really wasn't the same. Yeah, it just didn't have the same oomph to it. And Yes. Okay. He he was saluted and everything, and that's all well and good. But it just didn't have that, you know, real Hall of Fame feel to it, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. that 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 sort of legendary feel to it. Whereas, I felt this past Saturday, he got what we what we what he should have gotten in twenty twenty one. He got in twenty twenty three. So better late than never. And yeah, it's kind of weird as an opposing member of the uh, a member of the opposition, so to speak. But so happy that John Bowman got to salute the crowd again and, and get to hear the cheers again, even though, yeah, he was the enemy, so to speak, uh, yeah. this past Saturday, people still remember, oh yeah, he did play for the Alouettes. He did have a hall of fame worthy career and definitely deserves to be recognized and saluted as such. Yeah. The one story that I heard that I just love came from Larry Smith, where he was, the, he gave a little bit more insight to the infamous U2 game. And I think he had to, the, I think he had one of the, uh, the, he was doing it on, um, uh interview that he did with the alouettes it just adds to the interview that we had with mark waitman uh you know to, you know commemorating the 25th anniversary of the u2 game it just gives more story to it i dude if i i know we, we've joked and we've said that you know players could, could write books and you know there's so many stories to tell that alone the u2 story alone just by adding what larry smith had this past week it, it, it just adds more to the story. By the way, talk about John Bowman. So well worth what the accolades he got this week. And if I'm not mistaken, did I hear right? Because I did catch the end of it. This is the first time that his dad got to see him technically in stadium. In, in Percival Molson Stadium, yep. Yeah. 
because uh, he lives out on the West Coast, uh, Mr. Bowman. And uh, yeah, he's gone to BC Place to see John play, but never had a chance to see him play in Montreal. I get to actually get that hometown pop, if you will. Mm-hmm. But he, he got it this past Saturday. So uh, you, you could see the John was just you know elated to be able to be able to share that moment with his dad. And I, I tell you, like that's that's the stuff, man. That's 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 the feel good stuff. And yes, he was a member of the BC Lions when this happened, and you know, it is what it is. But personally, I, I'm I'm thrilled for John Bowman that he was able to have that moment, and for him to also too to take residence in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. uh, on the fifteenth is sensational. Couldn't be, couldn't happen to a better person, and you know, so thankful that he was able to do that. And the fact that the Alouettes were able to celebrate him in doing so, along with Larry Smith, Jacques Dussault, and Josh Burke absolutely outstanding so once again the alouettes when it comes to these sort of ceremonies more often than not they knock it out of the park they they know how to get the fans involved in it they know how to you know sort of tug on the heartstrings get the you know tap into those emotions and it's it's such a wonderful thing to see I'm, i'm glad that finally the alouettes are able to do that and do it properly and my hat goes off to everybody in the organization who made that happen yeah i was just about to say they they did it right props to i think pkp was there obviously you know mark wayton was there he's and doing some of the introductions the only thing that i just don't understand cliff is how they were able to to work this in considering the the ben cahoon retirement ceremony was still going on i don't know right <laughs> like what the hell like it's almost rude but i mean well you know what, what can what? you do one of these days it's going to end and we're going to be so sad, but you know, yeah, yeah, that, I, I that, hate that, that day has not arrived yet. <laughs> no, I hate to be the person who's going to edit that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Alouettes are starting a home and home series versus the uh, East leading Toronto Argonauts. Uh, they're heading back to Toronto for the first time as the first time since, uh, since the Eastern final. Yeah. First time since Eastern right. final. Uh, the Alouettes go into this game, Cliff, currently, according to, to DraftKings, that is a 10.5-point underdog. Not surprised. Um, the ways things are going this week, there's some interesting names that are currently uh, uh, on the when it comes to the injury report for the practice roster, as uh, for the practice reports. Listen to this one, dude. Wesley Sutton, we know the uh, past couple weeks we it looked pretty bad, but he's been limited both days, which to me is a plus. That means he, he's not a DNP, Okay. Uh, you had KJG, K on Julian Grant, what has been limited both days. That's a huge plus because we all we all know that he's dealing with a with a broken bone in his hand. Uh, and dude, Reggie White Jr. has been limited for both games. Does it mean he's going to come off the sixth game this week? No, but he just may lead up to uh, he's because we talked to him post game. He's close. He's very very close. So jumping at the bit too, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can tell he's he's like a, like a caged tiger. Like he he wants to get out. He wants to get back on the field, and it's gonna happen. There's no question. And my God, I mean, like we've already talked about how exciting this Alouette's receiving core is. When you put Reggie White Jr. back in into that mix, holy crap! I mean, that's I, just. That's, I hate to be the coaching staff. Yeah, I hate to be the coaching staff who's going to, have to deal with the uh, with the uh, with the with the rosters and the ratios. Oh boy! That's, <laughs> yeah, I do not. I do not envy them one bit. When when that day comes, when you have almost no choice but to put Reggie White Jr. back in the lineup, you're gonna have to tell someone else to ha- you know take a seat. How do you do that? Like mm-hmm. you don't want anybody to get injured and you know and say, okay, well, okay, Reggie White's coming back into the lineup because so and so is hurt. I'm like, but we don't want anybody getting hurt. So at the same time, we don't want to bench anyone because 
I mean, there's too much talent. I mean, it's my God, what a what a problem to have. <laughs> yeah, no, I tell you real quickly, what to you, um, my to me, in order to, for the Owls to win this game, obviously they they got to keep Chad Kelly under wraps. But also they got a their, their running game. They got to stop their running game because as we saw last time that the that the Argos were here, yes, the Owls were able to play with them toe to toe. We need another type of game. That was a great game. It but, really was. But again, they things have to be made in order for the Alouettes to stay in this game. They really do. Uh, and it's Cody needs to have a perfect game. The Alouettes offense has to score point blank. Screw these field goals. You got to score point blank. Whether it's rushing or receiving, you've got to put touchdowns on the board. You're mm-hmm. right. Field goals are not going to cut it against Chad Kelly and this Argos team, who absolutely pasted the the Hamilton Tiger Cats on Monday. And that's the thing. Don't forget, the Argos are playing. It's a short week for them. Just about to say that, yeah. But they're still the Argos. They're still, for my money, the premier team in this league. Like You talk about like the top-tier teams in this league. They're the best of the best as far as I'm concerned. And mm-hmm. one loss this year. And even, even then, why did they lose that game? Because Chad Kelly wasn't playing. Uh, a lot of other things uh, went in that factor as well. But, uh, I mean, truthfully, like, this team goes as Chad Kelly goes. And he has definitely lived up to the hype. He has definitely proven that he is worth the extension he was given. Like, he is now currently the CFL's highest paid player. And as far as I'm concerned, is worth every penny. I mean, the, the guy just, he knows how to win. And he, yeah, he's not perfect. He, he's definitely made mistakes. He made mistakes against the Alouettes uh, a few weeks ago. But the guy yeah. the, the more positive than negative, without question. I mean, this that guy was a, yeah. gets it. Defense can do with that this week. Uh, do you want to at least mention that the Argos can can pl- clinch a playoff berth with a win versus the Alouettes on on Sunday, uh, Saturday? It is the first game of the triple header this week. So, uh, I know that when it comes, stay tuned to all of our socials, and you will be seeing. Uh, we'll probably go with uh, Flight Deck Live uh, four to four thirty ish, but stay tuned to our socials, and we'll uh, uh, we'll let you know when we're going to go live uh, for uh, for our post game show. Um, anything else, Cliff? You want to mention about the uh, about the uh, the Argos matchup or anything else before we head off? I mean, I I look at this team, and even during the the Labor Day game against Hamilton, I mean. As I said, Chad Kelly was not perfect. He threw a couple of picks. Uh, he got rushed a few times. I mean, they were able to, I won't say rattle him necessarily, but they were able definitely to get in his grill a little bit. And I think mm-hmm. if the Elwets are able to do that, like we see what this defense can do when properly motivated, when given a chance to really shine. I have to believe if, if that defense can show up and make Chad Kelly's life just a little bit miserable, the Elwets do have a chance. I, we've said before, like this team is, it's a very talented team. They know how to win. And they've even said, we're a good team. We're better than what we've been playing as of late. And I believe that. I, I think it really just comes down to, it's a home-and-home series. You've got to win at least one of these games. I mean, Agreed. F- flat out. I mean, Agreed. if you could win in, if you win a BMO field, that'd be awesome. I mean, that to, to be able to hand the, the Argos their first home loss of 2023 would be quite the feather in their cap for the Alouettes. But, uh, man, just play this team hard and really truly like this defense we know how good they can be and they they're gonna have to like Fajardo they're gonna have to play a perfect game simply yeah. put I mean KB and Enzo, and ba- we remember we remember how he played against the the Argos yeah. I want to believe he's gonna be better I, I, I do too I have to believe I have to believe he he remembers that game and I think he even remembers whatever it was that he did before going into that bye week and he came back a brand new player and 
okay, we're starting to see a little bit of that regression over the past couple of games. Maybe it's just simply a matter of the the type of talent he's up against uh, defensively. Who knows what the, what what it was with Anto the, the past couple of games. I expect him, though, to step up in a big way. I expect Siante Evans, now that he's back in the lineup, I expect him to be yeah. that ball hawk threat. I forgot to mention him, too. You're right. Yeah. And Reggie the good thing about... Yeah, and the good thing too about the back-to-backs, by the way, when it comes to the Alouettes, they got a pretty good record. They rarely do lose both of, of a games within a back-to-back. I think it's over the past wow, five, six, seven years they have a pretty good record. I'll have to make sure and go go and check what their record is versus the last the, the, the back-to-backs versus Toronto and see what they're like. So yeah, um, like, but I, do, I look at the, yeah. I look at the secondary and there is some talent. I mean, even with a, with less Wesley Sutton out of the lineup, I mean Reggie Stubblefield has shown that he can play in this league. I'd like to see him really have a massive game. Like he's had a couple of picks. He's had some nice stuff happen. I I, I would like to see him take that next step as well. And Mm -hmm. there's no reason why he can't, as far as I'm concerned. I I think with Siante Evans there as well, I mean, KB Nento, I think he knows what he has to do. Simply put, I I look at everybody on the secondary, uh, Cordell Rogers, Marc-Antoine Decois. I mean, these are, these are some very talented players. And I think if, if given the opportunity, if, they can just get, get themselves together. I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind they can make something happen. If they can make Chad Kelly's life a bit miserable on Saturday, the Alwoods do have a chance for this game. I mean, I mean, it, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see this team getting blown out again. And I won't say yeah. they got blown out versus BC. I mean, that, that was a pretty much a, a back and forth affair, but just way too many miscues, way too many mental errors. Hopefully, they got that out of their system against the Lions and. Yeah. Going into this match, a divisional match, no less. And again, if, if you want to try at least make up some sort of ground on the Argos, it's going to have to be against. It's going to be this game. It's going to be this series, essentially. And oh yeah, let's not forget it's a season series can be decided again. I mean, the Alouettes have lost a season series versus the Bombers. The Alouettes lost a season series versus the BC Lions. Do you really want to lose it against the Toronto Argonauts? Yeah, they spent because next to our big, next to our big dude. Once again, it it goes back to that narrative of, yeah, the Elowitz are good, but are they good enough? That's what a lot of people are asking. And it's a fair question. It it really, truly is because they are a very good team, the Elowitz, but you've got to beat these top tier teams. You're not going to play BC anymore or Winnipeg unless you get to the Grey Cup and one of those two teams make it there. But you have a chance now against Toronto. You have a chance to at least show that you belong in that category. You belong in that discussion. And if you can somehow manage to pull off a win against the Argos, that'd be huge. And then, you know what? Things are back on track. And then all of a sudden, they got to come into our house and mm-hmm. play. And they're going to be hurting. And they're going to be feeling like, we, we, we let these guys beat us. And they're going to be playing with a bit of an edge. And simply put, it goes from there. And that could pretty much determine what the second half of the season is going to be like for the Montreal Alouettes. And it's huge now. I mean, when they say that the CFL season doesn't start until after Labor Day, well, guess what? We're after Labor Day now. As far as <laughs> like these games count, like I mean, they all count, but I mean, this these this is where you really find out where your team is made of. And right maybe now, that's what, friends, maybe maybe that's why they didn't wear white at home. Maybe <laughs> maybe Labor Day. <laughs> But yes, but, uh, but, needless to say, Cliff, yeah, there are two big games coming up for the Alouettes. Uh, you can stay tuned to all of our socials and stuff like that. To, to you know, we'll, we'll be doing what we normally do uh, during during Alouette games and stuff like that. And uh, we hope you guys will join us next week as we will preview the uh, game two of the back to back 
for the uh, for the uh, Toronto Argonauts Alouette series. And uh, make sure again, stay tuned for uh, the next episode of Flight Deck Live. That will be post game for the game this Saturday. So yeah, make sure you check out all our socials. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, if you're watching or listening on YouTube, make sure you leave comments and leave the links uh, down below. Uh, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Make sure you're dialed in and tuned up and be a, a part of the flight crew. Exactly. So Cliff, dude, love talking to you again. As usual, talking about Alouette's football, and we love having you, the fans, here, uh, hear us talk about it. So uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. So for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck, for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.